Let's go out to the movies, grab some popcorn and cookies. Let's go out to the movies, and let's all have a snack, yeah. What's up everybody, this is Vinny Bucci, aka The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with a compilation episode, as we have part three. 
three of the Boochcast goes to the movies. And because of the three-hour restriction that Anchor has, we have been putting these in two by two by two. Part one featured Tango and Cash in the Matrix. Part two featured Punchline and Back to the Future. And now we're coming at you with the last two. Boochcast goes to the movie segments, at least for now. And that is, of course, Goodfellas and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So without any further ado, let's get in to the review of Goodfellas. Ray Liotta, start us off. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care Though my pocket may be empty, I'd be a millionaire. My clothes may still be torn and tattered, but in my heart I'd be a king. Love is all that ever mattered It's everything So open your arms And you'll open the door To every treasure that I'm hoping for Tell me you're mine evermore Must I forever be a beggar Whose golden dreams will not come true Or will I go from rags to riches My fate is up to you I forever be a beggar Whose golden dreams will not come true Or will I go from rags to riches My fate is on Hello, and welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song Rags to Riches by Tony Bennett. And this is, of course, the opening theme song to uh, Goodfellas. And that's why I had to make sure I threw in that Ray Liotta line, uh, which kicks off this whole thing. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster, which inspired the title for this week's episode of the Boochcast. Now, the reason I didn't 
shoes as far back as I can remember is because I used that title for a previous Boochcast during the days of Blog Talk Radio. Because at the time, I was doing um, reviews of the classic cartoon show Animaniacs. And I did that as one of the episodes because they did a spoof of Goodfellas called the Good Feathers. And as far back as I can remember was how they opened every single episode or segment of the Good Feathers on Animaniacs because they kept trying to play off of that, you know, with the Ray Liotta character that played the, the pigeon. That was the Good Feather. You know, basically they did, um, they had one that parodied Ray Liotta, one that parodied Robert De Niro, and another that parodied Joe Pesci because they were the Good Fellas. So I played this song uh, mostly because I love it and because, you know, you can never go wrong with Tony Bennett. He's one of the all-time greats. And I just thought it was a cool song to play as we get into a review of a really great film that I enjoy. I know Elvis enjoys it, enjoys it as well. And I'm sure you guys will love it as well because it really shows the mafia in a great great way and that was tony bennett with rags to riches here on the booch cast all right and now ladies and gentlemen it is time for one of our newest segments but also one of our favorites elvis and booch go to the movies and of course joining me right now he is the man that is going with me to the movies very excited to have him back here on the booch cast ladies and gentlemen please welcome the one the only mr elvis delinsky oh let's go out to the movies grab your popcorn and cookies let's go out to the movies have yourself a snack yeah <laughs> I miss this song. I love it. I love this song. I'm so excited we're back doing this, Elvis. Welcome back to the Boochcast, man. Always oh, a pleasure to have you here. It's good to be here, man. Uh, um, I'm liking the room. Um, you've really uh, spruced up uh, Booch headquarters here. Um, I feel proud to be in this room. Part of the echoing rooms. Hey, and of course, ladies Sorry. and gentlemen. No, it's all good, man. It's all good. We're just having a blast here on the Booze Guys. We, we've been doing goofy, silly stuff a long time, so it's always cool when we do it here. And ladies and gentlemen, this week on Elvis and Booch Go to the Movies, uh, we're doing something very special for this one. As you guys know, uh, every week Elvis picks a movie, I pick a movie, we go back and forth. Uh, I will say that originally we did have a special uh, plan for this particular week, but unfortunately due to some personal reasons that we won't divulge here on the show those plans not come to fruition originally uh our chief of marketing uh rihanna mojaleski was supposed to join us for this uh going to the movie segment uh, apparently uh rihanna and i have been talking behind the scenes and she said that she's not really keeping up much with nxt these days so she doesn't really you know want to be part of the nxt recaps she watches the takeovers and would love to jump in for those in the future but just feels like the NXT was not the right place for her. But she's a big-time movie fan, loves watching movies. She wanted to join us for this review. Obviously, Elvis and I both agreed. Rihanna would make a great addition to this segment. Unfortunately, she was not able to join us for this week, but in the future, be on the lookout for Rihanna to join us in these movie reviews. I'm very excited to have her on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I thought we are going to have her on here. I was like, all right, well, I'll get, to get, to get together and do this uh, review because we're doing one hell of a whopper. Oh, we yeah. got... A fantastic movie. Um, I'm so glad Vinny decided to go with this one. It's a very good one. It's a classic. Um, one of America's, uh, well, actually the world's greatest movies. Um, in a lot of people's opinion. And actually on the top of the list for many of them that are acclaimed. Ladies and gentlemen, 
We saw Goodfellas. Yes, and Goodfellas is definitely one of the all-time greats. It's one of my absolute favorites, and I had to see this movie again, and I watched it uh, last night at the time that we're taping this, and uh, it was weird because I've seen Goodfellas many, many times, but it's another one of those movies where it's been a while since I really watched it from beginning to end. It's always something I would usually just catch on TV, and I'd be watching like right in the middle of it. So to be able to watch it from beginning to end was absolute epic. And of course, as we know, it, it has it has the scene. It starts off. It's got the three guys in the car. They've got somebody in the trunk. We have no idea who it is. But the and of course, uh, Joe Pesci goes crazy. He's stabbing the guy because they realize, oh shit, he's still alive after all this shit they do to him, which we find out later in the film. And then of course, they're shutting the the, the trunk. But before they do, we hear Ray Liotta say one of the most iconic lines in cinema history. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And he shuts the the trunk and then music plays and the show starts the movie starts and you know it starts in 1955 there's a young henry hill who becomes enamored of the criminal life and mafia presence in his working class italian american neighborhood in brooklyn he begins working for the local uh capa regime uh paul Pauli cicero and his associates uh james jimmy conway an irish truck hijacker and gangster and tommy devito a fellow juvenile delinquent um, Henry begins as a fence for Jimmy, gradually working his way up to more serious crimes. The three associates spend most of their nights in the 1960s at the Copacabana nightclub, carousing with women. Henry starts eventually dating Karen Friedman, a Jewish woman. She's initially troubled by Henry's criminal activities, but is eventually seduced by his glamorous lifestyle. She marries him despite her parents' disapproval. Now, granted with this, with these notes, we're kind of jumping around here a bit, but I will say, um, what I love most about this movie is Henry Hill paints the most awesome picture of being a gangster. I've never seen anybody just love the gangster lifestyle the way Henry did. Um, I thought it was pretty nice, um, especially with the beginning line, you know, ever since the whole, my, you know, my whole life, I always wanted to be a gangster. That's a straight up, like, I just want to be a gangster. I saw these people, I see the way my parents are struggling. Um, I want to be something better, better myself. I think I can do within the community with a powerful people like that. Money, fame, girls. I mean, you see them all with these guys all the time, right? So what's not appealing about that? Like, what what is not appealing? And plus, you might have to get to whack some people too. So, so for some people, that might be like a perk, you know, just to kind of work their way at the ranks. But growing up with that kind of poverty and sing a way out. Out, I mean, it might you might get your hands dirty, and you know that. But at the same time, you could, in the meantime, either be a working schlub, or you could do something that's bigger than yourself. So, yeah. I mean, that, I think it was pretty simple for him. He's like, okay, I could either work like this guy who makes no money, works his ass off, comes home to nothing. We have nothing, and these guys look like they're just cruising around fucking town all day wearing fantastic suits. Yeah, and he wouldn't go to school, and he's like, I can't go. He goes, I was. He said at fifteen, he made more money than most of the grownups in the neighborhood. So it was like, so he was doing all this insane stuff, like holding an umbrella while the guy runs around door to door because Polly didn't like to use phones, you know, or... Or there was another time, too, where they beat up the mailman because uh, he was bringing report cards home. And he yes. Asked, so I guess the one time he was actually working for the mob, and then uh, when his dad beat him, instead of going to the dad and beating up the dad... They want to keep it. They're trying to keep it cool below everything else. They beat up the mailman and say, "Motherfucker, if there's any more mail, this comes to fucking me." And they they're gonna kill him. So I was like, "Wow, so that's how it works. That's how it is. That's what it is having protection." Um, that's pretty awesome. Imagine with a set of friends, if someone tries to confront you, does something else, or screws you over, does a wrong to you. All of a sudden, all these people gathered around, and what they do? If you fuck with them again, you get them in trouble. Anything else, you come to fucking me. I will fucking destroy you. Wow, what a powerful message. And a kid, impressionable as he was, he thought the mob was at the time. He was like, oh my god, this actually happened. That happened. I've been working for him, but I'm not sure if they had my back. At that moment, he knew the mob had his back. Yeah, and they weren't going to go after his dad because 
one thing about Italians is they're very, very, very big on family. Yeah, of course. That's that's a big thing with Italians, you know. So they're not going to be mad at the kid's dad for not wanting to be part of this lifestyle or not wanting to do stuff like this. And also, you know, he doesn't want to disobey his dad or nothing like that. So they went after the mailman to control the situation. Also... They're, you know, not only are they very big on family, but also they know that, you know, the part of the whole thing about the mob, their big thing is they basically, they provide protection for people who can't go to the cops because of what they're doing. That's essentially what they do. They're not, they're not like, you know, yes, they do, they have whacked some people, they have killed people, but they're not going around, they're not like serial killers going around killing random people. If they're killing somebody, there's a reason behind it. If they're going after somebody, there's a reason behind it. You know, everything they do is done in a reason. They have a code of honor that they live by, and it's very much like it's a lifestyle, but if you're in that lifestyle, you have protection. You got people backing you up, and it's the most amazing thing. He said, after all this, I couldn't go back to school, pledge allegiance to the flag and all that, and, you know, it was basically saying, like, like you said, he found a way out, and it's like, it's like most people, it's like they go to school, you you go to school so you can have it, so you can get an education, so you can get a job, make a lot of money. He basically cut out the middleman and made, started making a lot of money. So it's like, if I'm already making a lot of money, the hell do I need to go here for? Exactly. And so, and and the fucked up part is not. All, I'm not gonna say this about every place, but you look at some school systems the way they are. And I'm not trying to get political. I'm just trying to make a point. You look at some school systems the way they are. You're better off just going making some cash because some I of them. Think so because you won't get that money back. And the thing is, I mean, it's true. Inner city, like you know, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, Atlanta. I mean, the schools within the city aren't great. Aren't great. They're, they're not. not. I mean, I think it's purposely done. But that's a whole different topic for a different day. Exactly. But at the same time, like you know, they're not great. So if he's making that money, he's thinking, why am I gonna sit there and punch in for a man? What is punching in? You know, like, for him, what is punching? Like, he's there all the time. He's spending nights somewhere. He goes home for a bit, and as soon as he wakes up, he's back into that life. It, 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 is, it is more than a nine-to-five job. It's a life. Yeah. So it's kind of like you put your life on it. So every day you're alive, as long as you're to get that protection, you're giving your waking hour and, like, your closing night pretty much with them. Yeah. So when you wake up, you might get up and say, hey, man, I got to do You can't just say, hey, man, I got to go take my kids to the zoo. That shit doesn't happen. Like, if you have your shit under control, you can do whatever you want. But for the most part, you're there doing, at least that's the perception I get, that they're waking hours getting up eating do whatever the fuck they do do some blow and then head over to like the the headquarters you know for where all you hang out at the, at the restaurants and everything else your life is with them it doesn't go anywhere else if you're not you can't have a foot on each side it's either you're in or you're out exactly and they and the thing is is that because they're constantly hustling like they said they're you know they're robbing this truck to sell this stuff or you know they do things like where they'll have a restaurant and they'll have like you know buy the stuff in here sell it out the back like at a discounted price like they'll get like a crate of like alcohol for like two hundred dollars and sell it somewhere for a hundred and, and then basically when they when they can't get any more loans from the bank they just torch the place like they literally had their way of getting things and the one scene that i think and you have to watch it at least once to fully understand this because the first time you see this movie this isn't gonna make this is you're gonna see this is a throwaway line but there's that moment where henry gets you know pinched which for those people who do not know is a mafia term meaning he got caught got arrested so he goes he's a young kid he's got arrested because he got possession of like cigarettes and whatnot and there and he of course is told them nothing said nothing and basically they at worst gave him probation if anything i don't remember what his sentence was right. but i remember he walks out and henry's legit scared because he thinks jimmy's gonna be mad that he got pinched he's like nah man everybody gets pinched but you did, but you, but you took it like a man, and you did the most important thing. And this is the line: He goes, "Never ride on your friends, 
and always keep your mouth shut, which is a key thing. Now, for most people that, like I said, when you watch it for the first time, you're going to think this is the throwaway line. What it really is, is foreshadowing the entire film. That one line that's kind of like a throwaway pretty much sums up everything that is to come. It's true. The never run on your friends, the always keep your mouth shut. And then, of course, throughout the whole thing, as he's going through the clubs, they meet all these different people, and they all got their, their mafia names, like like Frankie the Nose, Johnny the Wrench, things like that. Uh, my favorite guy that I loved was Jimmy Two Times. was my favorite. I don't know if you remember Oh, Jimmy yeah, Two- I do remember yeah. the guy who, who said everything twice. Yeah, I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. <laughs> like, that dude is fucking great. So I loved, I loved that guy. And then, of course, there was the scene where, um, you know, my, you know, the, and we talked about this before, um, before we got on the air, we were going over some stuff. One of the best scenes for me was, um, obviously Joe Pesci steals the show for me, uh, as with the scene where he's telling the story at with, like with Ray Liotta and everybody around him, like Henry, and he's like, and he's sitting there going, so yeah, so I'm doing this job and I'm resting in the weeds. And he's like, so this cop comes up, he's what are you doing? I says, I'm resting. Here you're resting? He goes, yeah, I'm resting. So they pick him up, they take me in, he goes, so what are you going to tell me today, tough guy? He goes, like th- my usual, nothing, nada. I ain't telling you shit. And the guy goes, you're going to tell me something today, tough guy. And he goes, all right, I'll tell you something. Go fuck your mother. And everybody starts laughing. Then he goes, bing, boom, pop. They're beating, basically beating the shit out of him for it. So now I'm waking up. I'm coming around. The guy looks at me and goes, so what are you going to say to me now? And I looked at him. I'm like, what are you still doing here? I thought I told you to go fuck your mother. <laughs> He's like, bing, pop, pop, and then, and then Henry, and then Henry does the whole thing. Was like, man, you're a funny guy, and then Joe, and he's like, funny how? How am I funny? What am I like a clown? I amuse you? How the fuck am I funny? What's so fucking funny about me? He's like, hey, he's a big boy. He knows what he said. What's so fucking funny about me? And it's like, it's like just the way you tell the story. No, I don't know. You tell me. I didn't say it was funny. You said it was funny. How the fuck am I funny? And he gets so fucking mad. And then there's like that awkward pause. He's like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, I had him. I don't was at it, you stuttering prick, you. <laughs> He's like, I worry about you tonight, Henry. You might fold under questioning. <laughs> they all start laughing. And then the dude comes up with, like, the bill, and he starts embarrassing him, so he just, like, knocks him away. He's like, there's a seven fucking big ones. Like, yeah, I can pay it. What, you trying to embarrass me in front of my friends? You fucking mutt. You know how much money I spend in this damn place? And he says, like, mutt, like, 15 times. I still want to know what where Italians got that word from, but it was, like, fucking great. Oh, mutt's, like, just, like, a mix between, uh, like, you know, like, dogs. Like, you have, like, a chihuahua and a boxer. Yeah. You know, so that's a, like, or you have a whole more than two, maybe three. So the, you know, the mother was a horse. Oh yeah, you're pretty much a bitch of all nations, pretty much. Like, all right, you're just, like, you're just like a big mutt. Because he uses that like so many like, times. He's in like, the yeah, film. Italian, not Irish. You know, you're, you're a little bit of this. You're a little bit of that, you fucking mutt. <laughs> it's like so he just hits him in the head with like a glass bottle. And he's like, last week he asked me to christen his kid. I, yeah, seven thousand. I charged him, and everybody starts laughing. He goes, the funny guy, and because obviously the funny thing is that Tommy and Henry are best friends. So Tommy would never hurt him. Like that's the thing. Like even when he's pointing, he's pointing an actual gun at him. He's still laughing because he knows he's not gonna really pull that trigger. They're all like brothers. But what's great about that scene, and most people don't know this, is that when they did that scene, it was based on a true story where somebody said Joe Pesci was a funny guy and he didn't take it very well, or someone told him it was funny, it didn't go very well. So he tells that anecdote to Martin Scorsese. So he says, "I'm gonna add this in the in the show in the movie," but he doesn't tell. He only tells Joe Pesci and Ray Liotta. He doesn't tell anybody else in the scene. So they're watching Joe Pesci the whole funny how. How the fuck am I funny? And you seeing the look on their faces? Those are genuine like, is this in the script? Like they're legit like, are they about to kill each other? Like they're legit fucking scared. Like imagine not being told that's going to happen and you see Joe Pesci just fucking yelling. Because yeah. the dude is short. Because as short as Joe Pesci is, he's fucking scary. I don't care what nobody says. That dude scares the hell out of me. 
Yeah, I mean, you got his uh, impression down pretty good. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. That was pretty good. I'm like, wow, I can see uh, you body, uh, doing a body double for Joe Pesci <laughs> and a voiceover. <laughs> like, what do you mean we want some cheese? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Exactly. It was, it just loved that. I just loved that scene. It was so great. Just like, here, you're resting. Like, I just thought that was the best. Like, go fuck your mother. He's, or like later on, he's like yelling at Spider when he's trying to bring him a drink. He's like, he's like, dance the fucking drink. Like, you drag for everything else, you fucking prick. <laughs> and he fucking shot him in his fucking foot because he spilled a little bit on him. Or something? No, he no, it's because he was asking for a drink. Spider didn't hear him, so he didn't bring him a drink. That's right. So he's like, so he just shoots him in the foot, and then later on he's limping while they're playing again, and then he's just, and they're like, yeah, he's like making the stuff. So Spider goes, "Go fuck yourself, Tommy," and everybody was like, "Oh, you're gonna take that? <laughs> you're gonna take that? There's gonna, oh, you ain't gonna take that from that bus boy all of a sudden? Yeah, you're fucking right. Pop, 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 pop. I'm like, oh man, that kid had it coming. Yeah, well, it was funny because like at first everybody was like Henry's like giving him extra. No, no, not Henry. No, Jimmy was giving him extra money. He's like, there you go, Spider. Don't take no bullshit. The fucking balls on this guy. Like, cause Italians love that shit. Yeah. Joe Pesci didn't like it, but everybody, most Italians, when you when you really stand up for yourself or do something crazy, they're like, fucking balls on this guy. I like you. Like sometimes if they if you're like really like convincing, like right. you're you got it, but you get you. But if you're oh, but if you're like faking it, they ain't gonna buy it. But if you're legit, like. I ain't fucking scared of you. They're like, he's got balls. I like that. It's some balls. extra money. Yeah. It's some extra money for you. And then he shoots him and he's like, you stupid bastard. I can't fucking believe you. And it made me laugh because at one point, you know, Jimmy looks at him and goes, you know, he says, Tommy's a sick maniac. And I'm sitting there going, you just found this out. We've known this shit throughout the entire film that Tommy's out of his fucking mind. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, like he literally is like he's like like he's like his girl like he's telling his girlfriend don't look over here or he says this one guy's attractive he's like yeah we we get it you don't have to fucking bring it up like you get the look on his face like he wants to smack her but he's not gonna smack her although I found out in real life. Tommy smacked his girlfriend around a lot, but they didn't put that in the film. Okay. Apparently, the real Tommy had done that. And they actually said the real Tommy was actually a lot bigger and a lot more muscular. But I think because Joe Pesci is so great at the role, they gave it to him. Okay. It was one of those things. And then uh, another thing that I loved in the show was when Polly takes over the restaurant after this guy gets scared of him. So he has him come in because he's thinking if Polly's there, you know, Tommy won't fuck with him as much because Tommy respects Polly. And one of the best lines I love in there was the whole, like, you know, you get you you go into business with Polly, you got to have his money on time. It's like, oh, business is bad. Fuck you, pay me. Oh, there's a fire. Fuck you, pay me. Oh, lightning hit the restaurant. Fuck you, pay me. I was almost tempted to call this week's episode. Fuck you, pay me. I, <laughs> I almost did. I didn't go there yet because the people who need to pay me have started to pay me, so I'm not doing that. But I, that's why I called it. I always wanted to be a gangster. But I was gonna say, fuck you, pay me. I thought about that. Those were two thoughts going through my head. You can get, you can get a tattoo on each hand, like fuck you. Pay me. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. That would work. Oh, it was great. It Surprise, was... I want to see more tattoos like that. You know, one, like one one uh, arm, whatever, or one hand has, fuck you, and one says, pay me. So if you don't, pop, pop. That's <laughs> all you see. Fuck you, pay me. Fuck you, pay me. <laughs> That would be great. Uh, and another thing that I found interesting um, about this was when uh, Karen and Henry got married. I got to well, talk. Well, wait, let's before we go go that. Let's talk about them actually meeting. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that was a a, a cool thing because you know right now we're seeing the high side of the show where you know it talks about him wanting to be a gangster since he was young and living a life and doing a whole bunch of crazy things and hanging out with his friends and doing cool shit. Um, the fact that Joe Pesci was uh was on a date with the girls like man I can't go by myself you got to go with me um he's like I don't want to go so he, he meets you know Joe Pesci with his girl and then he got Ray Liotta with his girl you know with his girl but Ray Liotta's just like fucking bored he 
doesn't want to be there. You know, she's looking the other way. He's looking the other way. They weren't talking to each other. So at the end of the night, he felt kind of bad. So he talked to the girl. He's like, hey, listen, man, um, I'm sorry. I'll pick you up next week or something. We'll make it happen. And then he stands her up. <laughs> stands her up. And then she goes to him in the middle. And then she's completely oblivious. Like, there's like, she just thinks like, like everybody knows that section of cookie. That's a mafia. But she doesn't know anything. She just walks in like he's a regular motherfucker. Fuck you, motherfucker. You don't stand me up. You don't stand this pussy up, you son of a bitch. You don't stand me up, you piece of shit. You had me waiting there. You couldn't call. You couldn't come. You couldn't come to me. Seriously, as a fucking man. And just blew up. He's like, all right, baby. I'm sorry. I was like, shit. He's like, I thought it was next week. I really thought it was next week. Come on. And then he eventually makes it up to her and takes her out. But yeah, like, that was, and here's the funny part. All the mob guys are like, oh, oh shit. shit. It's almost like when you see somebody, when you see, like, um, somebody's wife or girlfriend yelling at your buddy and you're just sitting there going, oh, shit. That would be like... One of the most awkward, fucked up situations. But um, it was just cool because like at first they had no chemistry and then all of a sudden she brings out her anger. He brings out his. He's like, oh shit, I'm a dick. I should probably like relax a bit. And you know, long and behold, they got married. Yeah. And the and the funny thing was that they did something where like, Ital- and this is the thing about Italians. And if you've ever seen Sebastian Maniscalco stand up, you know a little bit about this because I'm going to quote it because it's 100% true. Was that that's what Italians, when when it comes to a wedding, they bring, they don't, they don't register. They don't get gifts they bring cash like that envelope the cash the bag with the cash in it that's real and she's like worried like someone gonna take that and he goes no like we're good like this no uh, one's gonna because no no, he- first of all Henry knows that these are mob guys they're not gonna steal from him first of all second of all someone did try to take from them they die pa- they, they would some Polly, Jimmy somebody would make sure they were dead the bus boy would do it Yes, exactly. But just, just to rank himself up there, like hey, I got you, I got your bag. Yeah, I got your bag. They somebody they try to take your bag, but here you go. It's all in there. Count it if you want to. That's what another thing Italians would say when they give you your money. You can even count it if you want to. But the key thing is, they always take that. They always get like the they get the bag and they bring cash. And what they do is they take that bag and when they go back to the room with the bag before they do anything, they look at the envelope and they look at the names on the envelope and they log. They get a log book and they make a list of everybody that came to the wedding and how much money was in the envelope so it would be like something like you know uh you know what did the what did the conways how much did the conways leave and she would be like uh something like ten dollars like cheap bastard ten dollars yeah so now they keep that log so then when the conways get married he goes back to the book and he's like all right put 10 singles in an envelope and then tell him to go fuck himself so there you go so they want to make sure okay how much did you leave so i know how much to leave when i get invited to your wedding i go back to the book that's a key thing but Italians always leave cash because that's just how we are. It's like, you know, most of the time if you can't think of a gift for somebody or you're struggling to find a gift, it's like, here's cash. Get what you need, you exactly. know? Who needs gift cards? Exactly. Like, like yeah, do not bring gift cards to an Italian wedding. I repeat, do not bring gift cards to an Italian wedding. By the way, I'm sure there's some of you out there that might get a gift card and you're probably thinking, oh, my friend's Italian. He'll like an Olive Garden. No. No Olive Garden gifts or cards. Do not give authentic Italians Olive Garden so gift cards. you don't cards. this Olive Garden card I have in my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I might have a date coming up, so maybe. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. But you see, you hate it, so no. I, well, plus, I don't have it in my hand, so. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I guess that works. But I just love that, like that authenticity that they brought to this with everything Italian-related. And, you know, uh, also, so anyway, so now they got this marriage, everything going on, you know, you know, and Henry's out. The parents don't like it, but. He's out all night with his friends, and the mom's like, you know, they don't have a house yet. Exactly. So he's living over there, but he's barely there. He's doing the mob life. She's like, what kind of man, the mom? What kind of man goes out at all hours? He's 
with his friends, ba. He's with his friends. And then when he finds out the next neighbor was trying to get handsy with the girl, man, he just walks over there, drives as fast as he can, drives into the parking lot, looks how many people are behind there, puts a gun into his pocket, turns around all cool and suave. He starts walking and the guy's like, you better back the fuck off. And also he takes the gun out and pistol whips the shit out of this dude. And the other two guys are sitting there. He waves a gun at him. They put their hands up like, okay, we ain't gonna fuck with you. Hits him a couple more times and then walks away. Wow. Yeah, and he even says, I swear on my mother's life, you touch her again, you're dead. Like, oh, man, and yeah, because he, and, and another another side note thing here people didn't know was that at the time that this movie was being filmed, uh, Ray Liotta, the actual actor, his mom had died of cancer. And obviously, most people, like, you know, he was mad, he was angry about it. So when he's in that scene, and he has to be angry and mad and hit him with the gun and yell, you're dead and everything, he, he thought about, he was thinking about his mom during that time and use the anger from that to make the to make the scene look real. And that's the thing that most actors do. It's like I learned this in college. It's called stimuli. It's where if you're acting in a movie, you like if you need to be angry, you think of something that makes you really mad or you or if you have to cry in a scene, you think about something that makes you really sad and you have that image in your head so when the director yells action, you're pissed off, you're crying or you're happy or whatever it is. You they channel those emotions cuz that way when it comes out, it looks more believable than if you're just trying to act angry when you're not angry. So a lot of times actors do stuff like that. So it's they, kind of like method acting in a way, and just yeah. kind of like kind of like projecting like your yeah. own emotion. Yeah, it's it's not Eric Stoltz level method acting, but it's method acting. In, in, I mean, in a sense, I mean, like it kind of makes sense, you know. I mean, like if something makes you happy, think about the happy spot. If there's like, something makes you sad, think about that one thing that you truly don't like. Everybody yeah. has it. If you haven't thought about it, think about it. You know, like for some people, it can be something like their mom passing away, or it could be something even crazier, like you know, like eighth grade when Lauren didn't bring her didn't. Act wouldn't bring, invite you to her party, but she invited everybody else in school. Right. Stuff like that. So th- whatever it is, it brings that out of them. And it was just one of those things that was interesting. So of course, all this stuff is going on. And then all of a sudden, there's this one turning point that happens. In 1970, there's a there's a guy named Billy Batts, who's a made man for the Gambino crew. He's one of the a made guys, basically like a boss. Everybody answers to him. He's You're basically untouchable in the mob world. When you're when you're a main guy, you're the head of the thing. So he finally gets out of jail, and they're at a nightclub that Henry owns, and Tommy walks in with his girl. Now apparently, Tommy and Billy have history, because back when Billy was running the streets, Tommy apparently used to be uh, used to shine shoes. He was a shoe shine guy. He's you know so back that that was where Tommy started out. Like you said, you know the, the bus boy working his way up. That's right. kind of what he was. He was shining shoes. Then he was running numbers for Jimmy. Now he's running the town. So Billy comes over and he's kind of like, hey, look at this. From shot used to shine shoes all the time. Now he's running the town. And Tommy gets a little offended by the shoe shine thing. Of course. You know he's like, hey man, I don't I don't shine shoes no things more. Are, Billy. Things are different now. And he's like, he's like yeah, I know. I'm just just having some fun. I'm breaking your balls. Why you gotta get fresh for you? Like you know sometimes I, people don't you don't sound like your kid. Sometimes people are like, I'm just joking around. I'm breaking your balls. You don't got to get fresh with me. He goes, all right, I'm sorry, and everything else. And then, he, and then he says the one line that my dad quotes all the fucking time. <laughs> Literally, he'll send me memes and text messages of it once a month. He goes, now go get your fucking shine box. <laughs> and then he goes, motherfucker. And then he gets mad. So now, basically later on, Billy's drinking. He's telling stories. Next thing you know, Jimmy and Tommy beat the fuck out of this guy in the middle of Henry's restaurant and they stab him and they shoot him to death. 
So now, this is a big thing because first of all, they just killed somebody. Second of all, they just killed the main guy. If you want to kill a main guy, you need permission. This is like a sin in the mob world. One of the sins. There's a lot of them. And so now they have to dispose of the body. They get rid of it. Then six months later, they find out that they're going to slate it for development. They're going to build houses there and shit. So now they got to get the body out of there, which is not smart. And of course, they have all this other stuff like, here's an arm, here's a leg, here's a wing. And... Henry and Henry's sitting there going, "You got to be kidding me!" He's like throwing up, driving himself crazy, and then all so all this crazy stuff happens, and then and then all of a sudden you have the moment with uh, Karen and you know finding out about Henry and Janice being together because Henry's using Janice to you know help him sell drugs and shit, and you know then she holds Henry at gunpoint, which I'm gonna say this. It's fucked up that Henry cheated on Karen, but why would you hold a mobster at gunpoint in his own house? That was a dumb move on her part, I think. I think so, man. I mean, maybe she got bigger than herself, really. That's what it is. Like, she feels like she's untouchable, kind of in the same sense, but it's really because of him, not because of her. Yeah. She's just fucking the guy who's in it. Exactly. And he's sitting there going like, and, and I looked at Henry's point of view, he's like, he's got to worry about getting shot every single day. And the one place he's supposed to be safe is his house. It's another fucking gun. And now, boom, he's not. he now feels like he's not safe in his house so he basically moves in with Janice till Polly convinces him to go back to Karen after they take care of this guy who they find out was had a sister who was a typist for the FBI so they now get 10 years in prison but apparently in prison they live like kings yeah I mean uh, I like the way they're living I mean spaghetti and wine and they had everything at their disposal they had uh, uh, guards at their disposal which is kind of a change of pace for most prison movies so you most of them are sitting back there trying to ward off everybody else they're in a whole different world by themselves they don't get let out they don't get let out with everybody else they have their own different things they could move inter- like seamlessly I'm pretty sure their cells were open the whole time yeah the only thing they couldn't do was leave the prison yeah, yeah. and that's fine he's like okay well I got this place uh, uh, it's kind of like being outside except with all the broads, but I'm pretty sure he's got some broads coming in there too because they work, they grease the system. Well, yeah. Well, that's because that's because periodically Karen would come in and like smuggle things in for him, like drugs and stuff, or, you know, that he can make deals and get everything. He's got connections because he's now getting to the drug selling thing because he realized when they're in jail, they're on their own. Yeah. You know, granted they're hanging out and, you know, eating and everything, but they can't make any moves. They got to do what they got to do. Eventually, you know, j- Henry gets paroled and tries to expand the cocaine thing, even though Polly is telling him, look, I know what you did in prison. I ain't mad about that. But now I want it to stop because he found out that, you know, you, and this is how fucked up the drug laws are, especially back then and even now, is that you don't even have to be selling drugs. You could know a guy, you could just be friends with somebody who's selling drugs and you get 10, 20 years in prison, which is fucking ridiculous. Even if it's like, someone could be selling drugs right behind you and you don't even know it and you're still cuffed and going to jail, which I think is fucked up. Yeah. So, Paul is like, I can't have that. So he don't want it to happen. But Henry's not listening because he's thinking, I'm making 40, 50, 60,000 like a day. Oh, so I guess the mob stopped paying like the family too. So he wasn't making his rounds, So they, but they weren't being compensated either. So it's kind of weird like so he goes to jail that's like they came and take care of the family that's kind of weird because yeah. i thought family was everything and one of theirs went down they made dirty in the time i thought like she'd still be compensated through her family exactly so that's what's kind of weird he's like I-, I have no fucking money he's like i'm trying to make I-, I can't do anything i'm in here i'm behind these bars what can i do from here yeah like, I'm-, I'm surviving here i'm not sure how to make you i can't talk to anybody i can't talk to any 
anybody. I can't call from this phone, like, because they know it's rigged. I can't call from this phone and talk about regular business. I can't. They're listening. Exactly. Like, even when Karen got mad that Janice came to visit, he goes, I don't control who comes to see me. I'm in jail. (laughs) Why are you yelling at me? I'm in jail. I can't control who comes to see me. He's saying, I'm not involved with her anymore. And he never was again. He went with the other girl, but so, but yeah, so they're doing all this other stuff. They're moving around. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything starts going crazy. You start seeing the helicopters and the paranoia kicks in. I mean, he's doing like mountains of blow. I mean, it wasn't comical like Scarface, but like he was just like sniffing, talking to himself, talking fast. Um, he was like, is there helicopters? Is there this? And then, you know, at five o'clock, I got to do this. At six o'clock, I got to do this. So he's, is there helicopters again? So he got his whole little like round, like crazy round and round. Like, okay, we got this. We got to do this. Like he's telling, like he's going off a checklist in his head and he's thinking about it over and over again. Faster, faster. Okay, we're here. If I make it here, I'll be in five minutes or whatever. So he's going like through the motions. Like he's, he's fucked up. Like he's got all the money in the world and he's got all the blow at his disposal. So he's, he's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's getting high on his own supply, which they tell you never to do. So, and then of course, eventually, um, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, eventually things before they start getting crazy. Now, now they're having all these other issues because, um, you know, there's a crew, Jimmy organizes a crew to raid this vault at the JFK airport and they have this big heist stealing several million dollars, but some members start purchasing expensive items. Like some, one guy gets a fucking Cadillac, one guy gets a mink coat. He's like, don't buy anything big, you fucking idiots. And it's like a pink fucking Cadillac or whatever it's, it was. Exactly. Yeah. And it was like ridiculous because Jimmy's looking at him like, you realize we're going to get caught. If you look like this, you can't all of a sudden be walking around with stuff. You got to lay low till things boil over. Then you can buy the big shit. So then they find out that the gateway truck is found by the police. So most of the crew now has to get killed. Of course, this was Samuel L. Jackson's cameo appearance in this, where Joe Pesci shoots him in the back of the head because he was because right. he was late picking up the truck. And then dead bodies covered anywhere. And then Henry says Jimmy probably would have killed him anyway rather than share the profits of the heist. So Tommy and Henry are spared by Jimmy. You know, obviously, like Jimmy's not going to hurt those guys. But then they find out that Tommy is going to get made. And this is where the most interesting thing happens. And I've and I used to do a joke about this in my stand-up. Um, one of the things was that they said was uh, that Jimmy and Henry could never be made because they had Irish blood, even though Henry's mom was Sicilian which is as Italian as you can get. They said in order to be a made guy, you had to be 100% Italian so they could trace all your relatives back to the old country. So, when, and people used to joke around all the time that my family and I were in witness protection because I moved around so much as a kid. I moved like 12 times, lived in seven different states. So, and it was like basically like every time, it was we would joke like every time we got a new president, my dad would hate his job and get another one. Because <laughs> usually a lot of times when my dad was switching jobs and we were moving, it was because he was like, these people are fucking idiots. Glad that's not genetic. <laughs> but anyway. Wow. <laughs> you guys are both HR right? <laughs> Well, he's not anymore. I'm st- I'm still there. But anyway, um, so that was the joke. That was a joke I used to tell. But anyway, I used to say that that's why I would never join the mob because I'm half Irish because my mother's Irish. So I'm like, if there's no advancement opportunity, why would I do that? I used to say it would be like getting a job at McDonald's and working the fries every day for the rest of your life. That was pretty, so I would never join the mob. However, I found out recently in 2000, they got rid of that. They now said, as long as your dad is Italian, you have an Italian name, you could be a made guy. I could be a made guy in the mob. So I'm like, fuck, if I had known that, I would have joined the mob in eighth grade. I would have pulled a Henry Hill. But uh, I don't know if I could join now. You know, you you, you chose this life now, Benny. I chose this life. Yes. You chose this life. Absolutely. You know, podcasting world. He's like, as long as I can remember, I always want to be a podcaster. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) When you're a podcaster, you have it all. It's like Chris Jericho. Ever ever since he was a kid, he wanted to be AEW champion. Exactly. (laughs) 
Six years old, dreamed of one day becoming AEW world champion. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know what? This podcast is just like Olive Garden breadsticks. Limitless. It's limitless, folks. It's limitless. And, of course, so now they're all excited because Tommy's about to go be mate. So he goes. He meets the, the higher-ups. He's going for the ceremony. He walks in. There's an empty room. He gets shot in the head and he dies. Turns out he was never going to be made. It was revenge for Billy Bats. So because they killed, they found out, they traced it back to them killing Billy Bats. So Tommy died too because Bats was a made guy and Tommy wasn't. And then, of course, they had to sit there and take it. So they're crying. They're pissed off because they whacked them. And then all of a sudden, obviously, you know, the, the insomnia, everything's going crazy. The drug deal with Pittsburgh. All of a sudden, the narcotics agents show up and bust the house. After And then after bailing them out, Karen explains that she flushed the $60,000 worth of cocaine down the toilet prevent the FBI agents from finding it during their raid, leaving them virtually penniless. Because Henry's thinking, if I can just sell that off, I can lay low and go away. If they still had that cocaine, they would have been fine. But once they found out Karen got rid of it, because Henry's arguing they never would have found it. Karen claims they would have. I don't know. What do you think? You think they would have found it? I think so. I just think the way that they're looking at it. Because like, I think at the time, he was kind of neurotic. Um, he was out of his mind, you know. So he could think it would have been a good hiding spot in his mind. But realistically, it would $60,000 worth of cocaine is not easy to hide. I don't care who you are. Exactly. I mean, unless you, like, have a drywall guy and you just put in the drywall <laughs> and paint everything, make it look like it's old. I mean, there's no way. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only, I, unless yeah. he had found, like, a crawl space, like, like, on the back behind the toilet. That's probably the only place they wouldn't look. Yeah. And this is one of those stereotypical, not, not stereotypical movies but i guess like when it comes to movies with drugs that drugs are involved you see the high life before how they were before during and then obviously after it always goes like it goes like a roller coaster it goes all the way to the top it's teetering it's getting really good and it's like oh i think it's time to come down whoa <laughs> it's like the like the ones who survive are the ones who are low key and quiet. The Pretty ones much. living the high life, they don't last. Well, I mean, like you stick your head out, you get nailed, right? Exactly. So now, after feeling betrayed, and then of course Henry now has to go to Polly, who is a hundred percent betrayed by everything Henry did. He gives him thirty two hundred dollars, and then pretty much is done with him. Washed his hands completely, turns his back. So now Henry meets Jimmy at a diner because now they're trying to figure out how to beat his case. Henry's now paranoid because he's thinking they're dead because now everyone's going to think that Henry's going to rat everyone out, which shocks me at this time because I'm thinking, okay, this is a guy who, when he was a kid, didn't rat out anybody. Why would everyone think, out of all the people, why would they think Henry would rat people out was beyond me. I'm like, y'all known the guy for years. Like, what would make you think he would do that? Which shocked me. Um, I guess when you're pretty close to the line, maybe getting arrested or even getting killed, you'll say a lot of different things. So, I don't know. I mean, like, it kind of throws everybody off, I guess. I don't know why they thought him, but it's weird. But at the same time, it's, it's a mob mentality. It's shown and proven. One person says something, and then everybody's like, yeah, maybe. Maybe he is the one, you know? Yeah. It's weird. Because sometimes they'll be like, yeah, the guy's solid. But then another guy will go, well, why take the risk? And then that's how, at least that's how it, it was. Like a, it was a snap decision. Like, okay, so I guess the people who said he could be white. I guess because he wasn't made, so it was a little easier to get rid of him. Yeah. And, like, Karen thought he was just being paranoid from all the drugs until she realized eventually they almost killed her yeah and then she managed to escape and then that's when she realized everything so they meet at a diner they're at a window and ironically it's the same diner where tommy where they were at where the day tommy got whacked which I found to be the most interesting. They found this, it was the same diner. So they're talking about, so then he offers him, so then, you know, they talked about this guy that Jimmy sent, wants to send Henry to go to Florida to take care of a hit. And then Henry's like, he never asked me to go on a hit. So he realized that, you know, he would never have come back from Florida alive. He's realizing they're setting him up for death. Right. So that's when he decides, 
to actually rat on rat everybody. You know, informant and enroll with his family in the witness protection program. He gives sufficient testimony to have Polly and Jimmy arrested and convicted. And then basically says the whole thing. Like, And it was easy to get rid of because he said his house was in his mother-in-law's name. His car was in somebody else's name. He never voted. He never paid taxes. His, his birth certificate and his arrest sheet is the only thing you have on him. Everything else, he's... So he's a ghost. He, yeah. He, he had a social security number, nothing. He has nothing. And he's he, a ghost. He was completely off the grid. And then talked about the high life. And he's and this was the funny thing. He said he was grateful to be alive, but he's forced out of the gangster life as just a normal life once again. And he, he misses the lifestyle. And I think that's what was great. He said he always wanted to be a gangster. And he says, like, so then he talks about how, like, he goes, I ordered, I wanted pasta with marinara sauce. They gave me noodles with ketchup. He goes, I'm an average nobody. I get to live the rest of my life like a schnook. And then it talks about, you know, and then it talks about, you know, Henry being witness protection. He was arrested in 1987 for a narcotics conspiracy. He got five years probation. Got clean. He and Karen separated in 1989. Polly died in federal prison jimmy was going to be paroled in 2004 but he died uh in 1996 so once they died henry basically got out of witness protection because those were the people he's protecting them from right so he was able to live life normally and then him and apparently him and ray Liotta remained good friends up until henry's up until henry's hill yeah the real henry hill's actual death okay and the fact that they talked a lot became friends they really studied each other because that's one of the things about acting that's so major is that when these guys are going to do a role where it's based on an actual person, that actor makes an effort to meet that actual person, talk to that actual person, get a feel for who they are because they want to give the best authenticity that they can. I think so. I mean, like, it's the best way. That way you get their mannerisms, their voice, their pitches, their certain tics. I mean, there's so many, like, different things you can learn from being, you know, face-to-face -face with the person. So, um, you know, I think it's a good thing. Same thing with that movie Blow, you know. Uh, Johnny Depp met Carl Jung. Um, I, who, what else is there? Hold on. I, I mean, there's, there's, I know there's more. I just can't think of any on top of my head right now. Um, I well, mean, oh, well, I know. Uh, well, the best example, I think, was Jamie Foxx and Ray Charles. Um, cause oh, yeah. obviously Ray Charles died before the movie actually was uh, officially done, but Ray saw enough of it to give his stamp of approval that it was great. And there's actually like, like behind the scenes clips of him and Jamie Foxx playing piano together. Huh. And like, like Jamie Foxx always knew how to play the piano, but he was learning to play like Ray. Mm -hmm. And then, like, him and Ray would always talk, and he learned to get his voice and everything down. And, you know, sometimes Jamie would mess up a note, and Ray would be like, now why'd you play it like that? And he would be, like, like kind of, like, not scolding him, but kind of yeah. sort of, like, both. And just, like, you know, trying to explain to him how it works and everything else. And then it was just, this is just one of the all-time most classic films ever. And I think there was, like, a couple scenes I liked um, where... This is what I also found interesting was whenever police officers, like Karen used to tell the story about how from time to time officers would always want to come and inspect stuff. They inspect the Henry of everything. And she, and, and she always said that she would always like invite them in, offer them coffee, stay out of their way. Like everybody else would yell and spit on their floor. He goes, I can't believe it. She'd spit on her actual floor. And he's like, it was best just, it was best to just, you know, be, be, be polite and send them and, let, and, and wait till they leave. And I'm like, wow, that actually works. Yeah. Like people don't understand that that actually does work. You know, nine times out of ten, if you're not screaming at a cop, they'll usually leave you alone once they're done with what they got to do. It's I've learned that. Hell, I learned that when you know when Rochelle and I used to get caught because I didn't have you know hotels and stuff. I couldn't afford to be in a hotel when I was in college. So we had sex a lot in the backseat of my car. We got caught by the cops quite a few times. It's embarrassing. It, I, it, I had it happen a couple of times. I'm like, wow, it's um. <laughs> 
You know what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, she's on top of me, and she's just now jumping off ever so awkwardly. Yeah, man. And the thing is, is that if usually if you're just talking to them, well, usually if they catch you having sex in your car, they're only looking for two things. Number one, how old both of you are. Mm-hmm. And number two, was any money exchanged? Oh, okay. That's the two things they're looking for. They're looking for underage or prostitution. In our case, it was neither, because I was 20, Rochelle was 21. He probably said, good for you, bro. Way yeah. To go. Pretty he, much. He gave me the nod. He's like, all right, buddy. You got he's like, this. He's like, he's like, he's like, and then he said, and then he, here's what he asked me. He goes, how old are you? 20. How old is she? 21. What's your name? Gave him my name. What's her name? Gave her her name. Where do you live? Right here. Where does she live? Right around the corner. Like right over there. Like and I said the name of the, I said the name of the subdivision. And he said, okay. And then he basically went and he basically said like, yeah, she's my girlfriend. And he said, is there, he goes, why don't you go to your place? I live with my parents. Why don't you go to her place? She lives with her parents. Why don't you get a hotel room? I'm a college student. I don't have the money. When I answered the questions, he kind of went, okay. Well, you can't do this here, so I'm going to let you off with a warning, but please take her home. Yes, sir. That was it. So I just answered all the questions. He had nothing on me, so he just went, okay. Usually it's what they do. They're like, yeah, not bad, man, because they know that nothing bad's happening here. Two cu- Just a couple having sex, one have fun. Nothing wrong with that. So that was kind of cool. I liked that. And then, of course, um, you know, I liked, uh, there was one line that Joe Pesci said when, when like, at, when they stop at his mom's house to get some dinner, he goes, like, can you find yourself? And he, he tells her, like, I want you to settle down with a nice girl and, you know, get married. He goes, and he says, well, I settle down almost every night, <laughs> but in the morning I'm free. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the best fucking line wow. I've ever seen. That's a good one. <laughs> Every night I settle down. In the morning, I'm free, like a phoenix. It's nice. <laughs> I like that. And, and of course, he does the classic Italian thing because he's like, he's like, he's like, the only woman I love is you, ma. Like yeah, that thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. He he hammed it up. It was pretty nice. That was great. I mean, Vinny, you ham it up a bit, don't you? Uh, sometimes if I need to. You shrug your shoulders. He's like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's what I do. You know. Yeah, that's what I do. You that's know. That's what I do. I kind of shrug my shoulders a bit. You know, like, yeah. huh? Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, there's a girl over here, a girl over there. That's what I do. You know, it's just how I work things. It was just one of those, like I said, one of those all-time great classic films and really showing you an insight into, into the, the gangster, gangster world. world. Wow, Jinx, you owe me coke. All right. Yeah, man, because, I mean, this is a good approach. Um, this was really good. I remember this being like a prolific movie growing up and watching it being really intrigued. And uh, I always liked the De Niro-Pesci uh, combo. I mean, it goes later on into The Irishman, right? It, it, like I like seeing them together in movies, you know? I kind of wish Ray Liotta was in that. Part of me does. Oh, no, I know, I know, I know. And what was interestingly enough is that who is in that movie is Al Pacino. And a lot of people don't know this, but originally Al Pacino was asked to do Jimmy Conway before they went to De Niro. But he turned it down, and here's the best part. He turned it down because he was worried about being typecasted in mafia roles. And it is funny because later that, because this movie was made in 1990, another movie came out in 1990 called Dick Tracy, where Al Pacino plays a stereotypical gangster named Big Boy Caprice. He later regrets that decision, as well as turning down Goodfellas. Well, Dick Tracy was good, so... Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Dick Tracy. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. I think I watched it. Uh, yeah, I did watch it. It's the two... I, I, I Warren Beatty... No, I'm sorry, I should rewatch. I should rewatch. is what I wanted to say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, Al Pacino, Warren Beatty, Madonna. Was it good in that? It's, it's, it's worth a watch, I think. Absolutely. Like, the fight scenes are not that great, but it's still an entertaining movie. No, but it's like, it's that cheesy... I mean, it was such a good period for that. That movie was made for that time, so I thought it was perfect. It really was. It was just one of those most entertaining films. I want those watches. I want a Dick Tracy watch. Still, yes. To this day. <laughs> I'm on my 
way. I love that. I think I used. I remember. I think I had like Dick Tracy. Like they used to have like comic books of that. I think there was like a, t- a cartoon, a TV show. Yeah, it was a TV show. I think I even got one of those yellow hats this one time for Halloween. That's all I got. I didn't get the trench coat or anything. I just got the hat. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really cool. I'm like, nice. Yeah, I didn't get a trench coat. I used a raincoat. Mm. Yeah, I had to. I had a budget with that one. Mine was made from a uh, Kroger bag. So it's a thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's like it's a uh, Kroger. <laughs> Shout out to Kroger. Also, another interesting thing that most people don't know is that the word fuck is thrown around this movie a lot. It was used a grand total of 321 times. Or one podcast from the Vinny Bucci. Yeah. What are you doing that uh, <laughs> meltdown video? What's it called again? <laughs> meltdown video? The, the, the videos where you just melt down, it's like, um, God, what is it called? Your segment you do on YouTube. Oh, uh, Boot Shoots On? Boot Shoots On. You just sit there and just go off. Just watch one of those episodes. I think I'll beat the record for Fox in one episode in half an hour. <laughs> Well, it depends on the topic. Um, it was, so it was an average of 2.04 fucks per minute were said in here. Joe Pesci says half of them. Uh, yeah, because that's everything that's coming out of his mouth. It's a fuck yeah. this and a fuck <laughs> that and fuck, 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 fuck. It's like, wow, how yeah. many fucks is that? It's a lot yeah. of fucks. Yes. And the script called for the word to be used only 70 times. But most of the dialogue was improvised during shooting and the expletives just piled up. So they only had 70 fucks in the script. They ended up with 320 of them. Oh, wow. And at the time of the film's release, it had the most profanity of any movie in history. And as of 2020, it is number 15. Uh, right, number 15 for most cuss words. So number one, they set the bar. Yes. And everybody fall behind it. And now, uh, another movie is higher up than that, which is The Wolf of Wall Street, directed by Martin Scorsese, is at number three. Oh, wow. So The Wolf of Wall Street cusses more than Goodfellas, which I didn't think was possible. And I'm pretty sure they only had about 16 cuss words in there, and they decided, okay, well, fuck it. Yeah. Martin Scorsese's like, I want to beat the record again. Yeah, I want to be on that list. Exactly. And then, of course, everything that was in there, and of course, like there was that, there's that scene where they're walking in the back which is like iconic it's all done in one shot I think you said like this was like an innovative form of shooting it was kind of like the way the Matrix does like the whole 360 thing where it slows down and you see all that cool stuff this is kind of, I think this is their that style was actually the, for, at least for the first time I saw it was in this movie because you don't really get long shots like that this is kind of like a I think an innovator for that kind of scene because they didn't really have it before yeah and of course they shot it like eight times and they did it because they couldn't go in the short way so they went back through the long way and it was kind of like a way of the significance of that scene was that it was shown Henry seducing Karen but also the lifestyle seducing Henry because he's shaking hands at everybody everyone knows who he is he's tipping people they set up a table for him right. people are buying him drinks like the drinks came from over here you got Henny Youngman on stage who's who old school one liner guy just and he's one of those guys that's like doesn't cuss but his one liners are like so precise you don't even know like of course his catchphrase is take my wife please that's where the, he was the original right. so that's, that. where, that's where it comes from folks. yes I take my wife everywhere, but she finds her way home. <laughs> He'd say things like, "My, you know, we're going on vacation. My wife said, I, don't, I want to be somewhere I've never been before. I said, try the kitchen. <laughs> One like, dun, dun, <laughs> Yep. And they have the guy in the back. <laughs> yep. You know, it's like, guy couldn't pay his bill. Doctor gave him another six months. <laughs> dun, dun, this is great. And he just fires him off and he's fucking amazing. And then another time they're going to see a singer. The singer's pointing at Henry. Like, that is the coolest shit to do is when you can if you're taking a girl on a date is go somewhere where like even the main stars like know who you are and stuff yeah like I, never, I never had that I, I I had that once okay uh, and it was by accident um, it wasn't really a date it was it was more like a platonic friend hanging out but if we were she said she actually told me later had we been dating I would have got laid that night 
that was that's how close of a friendship we have. She could tell me that. Um, sh- her she was a big fan of this comedian, uh, Lynn Coplitz. And one day on the regular guy's show, uh, Lynn Coplitz was headlining at the Punchline. She comes into the regular guy's studio, so I kind of start talking to her because I was a fan of hers too, mm-hmm. and we actually became friends, got along. Uh, so I told her I was coming to buy the Punchline later, and we were talking, and we did some segments on the air and stuff. She kind of roasted me over a few things. It was funny. Mm-hmm. So I so I tell so I get I had and as a comedian, uh, one of the perks that I have is that if I was a local comic is I get access to the club for free provided the show's not sold out. And usually they'll let me sit at the bar and I get drink. So I call uh, Jamie who who ran the who runs the punchline. I called him up and I said, Hey, um, I know that the rule is strictly for comedians, but if I have someone coming with me who's not a comic, do they still have to pay or can they just come in with me? Because if you said they had to pay, I would have paid it. You know, I'm not gonna make her spend any money. But he said, Is it only one person? I said, Yeah. He said, You can bring her. I said, Cool, thanks. So I, so free admission to the club. We're sitting at the bar. I arrive to the show. I walk over. Lynn instantly remembers who I am. And I found out later one of the jokes she did, she did like a shout out tribute thing. She was going by a rant about stalking a boyfriend said, I'll follow you all the way to Home Depot. And that was a shout out to me because she knew she found that I worked at Home Depot oh, at the time. Shit. Yeah. So, and I got another funny joke about that later. Uh, so she, so I go over, I say hello. I, I introduced, I introduced Kristen. This is the friend I'm bringing. And her eyes lit up because Lynn was like her favorite comic. Oh, and, wow. they beca- and they became like sisters by the end of that night. Oh, no shit. So she, yeah, so she, and, and then later on, uh, she came back a year later. She couldn't go see her. So I got an autographed DVD and I got it for her because I was being a good friend. But she actually told me, she goes, if we were dating, you totally would have got laid. That's how fucking cool it was. And there was another incident where there was another comic on stage, like the guy who opened for her. And he did a Home Depot joke about the paint department and Kristen worked in paint. I didn't even tell him that. So, and it was it was this joke about a dildo or something where like like you know like girls buy these insane like dildo stuff like there's one that, that they tape it to the wall so they can because it's actually a dildo that you can take and you can like stick it to the wall so they can fuck themselves doggy style or something mm-hmm. he goes they rip that off it messes up the wall and now I gotta go to Home Depot and get paint and I and she starts laughing because she worked in the paint department <laughs> at Home Depot years ago and so now we're watching that then she mentions Home Depot again and then she told me later that was from that that was a tribute to me. So, bang up night. So that was the closest thing I ever had to that, but... I mean, I get that when I go to a bar sometimes. I know, I know a lot of people. They're like, hey, Elvis. I'm like, oh, the king has arrived. <laughs> Hello, my, my minions. How are we doing? My what min- kind of shenanigans we'll get tonight? Are we doing Fireball or Jack? What kind of night's going to be? Tequila? Hmm, I don't know. My little minions, let's start off small and work our way big. We have a full night tonight. Woo, Elvis, Elvis. Yeah, that never happened. But I mean, like, you know... <laughs> Um, and some people meet up with me and say, oh, what's up, Elvis? I'm like, oh, shit. And I turn around, what's up, Elvis? I'm like, oh, shit. Who is the king of this fucking bar? LVD. LVD, absolutely. And, um... Uh, yes, <laughs> I guess all we have left to do is like the uh, the analytics at this point. Uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, good Goodfellas had a budget of twenty five million dollars, and it made forty six point eight million at the box office. Just at the box office. Yes, and it came out September 9th, nineteen ninety, in Venice. It came out September nineteenth in the United States, and is ranked as one of the greatest films of all time. Almost every line from there is a classic quote somewhere. I know. I always wanted to be a gangster's like in the top one hundred. 
Right. Yeah, because I remember it's like it was ranked number ninety two in like the AFI's like one hundred best movies, and then there was like hundred best quotes. And I remember I always wanted to be a gangster was in there. Yeah. It's not. It's not number one because the number one movie quote was frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn from Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. That's like number one. But there's like so many others in there, and that was to me one of my favorites. And this is a, this is a banger of a movie too. I mean, like it, you know, actually did stuff speak for itself. But I mean, like the motion it takes you on from like the early years to you know growing to a man and then getting yourself into like you know getting yourself in trouble and seeing like the downfall so you see the upside and a downside how it could really be so uh i guess the downside's pretty bad yeah and it was nominated for uh like a good five or six academy awards uh joe pesci got his was the was the only winner for goodfellas and he gave like the shortest speech in the history of you know the oscars you just said like you know i'm grateful for this thank you and walked off mostly because he didn't even expect to win so he didn't have a speech prepared oh, so wow. he just so he was just quick said thank you and walked off well, let me tell you a funny story <laughs> <laughs> you guys might find funny <laughs> Yeah, and it was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Like, this literally, they say this accurately describes the gangster lifestyle more than any other film. I mean, like, the poster, too, you see. I mean, like, you're going to see that in most college dorms, most, you know, kind of restaurants and stuff. So, Goodfellas, even, like, the poster alone, there's t-shirts, there's bumper stickers. I mean, people still love this movie to this day. It's it's held a test of time for a real, um for the way it really was back in the day. It really depicted it. It made you feel like you're part of it as an outsider peeking through um Ray Liotta's shoulders and pretty much everyone's shoulders for that matter so I kind of felt like I was a gangster at least for you know the two hours or however long it was on because I felt like I was part of the crew I was um, Elvis Fourfingers <laughs> <laughs> and I was Vinny Two Chins and anyway uh... <laughs> hey how do I get four fingers well uh, the thumb kind of came off they're opposable <laughs> can't seem to uh, you know find the bastard <laughs> It. But maybe one day, you maybe know. We'll find it one day. And uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, will uh, conclude Elvis and Booch. Uh, go to the movies. Um, we're hoping that uh, Rihanna will be able to join us uh, next week. Um, I'm not sure. Do we Now, next week, do we want to go with... Now, Rihanna told me what choice she would pick for her first pick on the show. Do we want to go with her pick next week, or do you want to pick for the next one? You know what, though? I know she's, she was here in spirit, so I feel like that she was here. So um, let's go with her. If it's going to be her first pick, now she's going to have to do the show next time. So Okay. Because um, it's her pick. So All right. I guess the next pick that we're going to have for the movie is going to be the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. And Rhiannon picked this for two very specific reasons. Number one, it is one of her favorite, if not her favorite movie of all time. And number two, she is still shocked that I have never seen it. I'm kind of shocked too. And at the same time, I remember last year, we were supposed to go to a Rocky Horror Picture Show in Atlanta. Uh, We were supposed to go and I don't know what the fuck happened, but we didn't go. Yeah. Um, I think, no, I know what happened. We went to a bar first, then we were supposed to go and maybe we met up with people. I don't don't remember what happened, but there was a situation where we went to the bar to just kind of kill some time and then we're supposed to go there later because it's supposed to be your first time and then we end up not going because we stayed at the bar. Yeah. I think we were just having so much fun talking, we just lost track of time. I think we did, and we looked at the time. I was like, oh, well, fuck, you know, whatever." No, it wasn't because it started. It starts at midnight. It's like the first Tuesday or Friday. No, the first Friday. Yeah, the first or last Friday of each month they do the show, and it's a live interaction. So if you've never seen a movie, I cannot wait for you to watch it, only because when you see it, 
when you go to the show in Atlanta, you'll get to see a movie depicted on a screen, but you have actors in there doing certain skits too. And if it's your first time, I won't say anything. So Brandon, if you want to take him to the Rocky Horror Picture Show in Atlanta, once uh, this whole thing kind of blows over, we need to take him there. He's going to be a virgin. He's new. He's young blood. He's fresh blood. <laughs> he's going to get tortured. He's going to get emasculated, and he's going to love every minute of it. Okay, so when they say, when they ask you if you're a virgin, they mean like it's your first time going to the event. Yes. Good. Okay. No, All no, right. no, they're going to ask you, is this your first time? And you, I mean, if you say you've been there before, you're ruining experience. They'll just go there and watch and see what happens. You want to say, yes, it's my first time. So you get the experience. Now, I went to one in Chicago. I went to one in Indiana. And I did the one here. And each time I went to every state, um, I said I was a virgin each time. Because it was new to the place. I wasn't going to sit there and contradict it. But I wanted to be part of the thing. After the first one, I was hooked. Okay. I wanted to go back up and up again. So I went to like different things. There's different variations, different actors with certain things they do. But they do have a survival pack. I think it's like $3 or $4 which you will know what to do because you'll see everybody else doing it with a pack. You can just keep it open you see somebody do something, you do that. But there's actually a show with the virgins when they first start on which is amazing. It's a once in a lifetime thing. If you've never done it before, it's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. Absolutely. And just to, just to be clear with the with the audience out there, when I say I've never seen the movie before, it has nothing to do with not liking it. I've just never seen it because it just wasn't in the cards. I, you know, certain movies I just haven't seen because I just haven't seen them. So it's not, I'm not good or bad or indifferent to Rocky Horror Picture Show and I am excited to watch it for the first time and definitely want to share yeah, my, my thoughts. My wife was kind of disappointed in you too. She's like, oh, that Vinnie Butch. No, she's not just got Italian accent. She's Puerto Rican with an Italian accent. I was about to say, wait, what? I mean, it's like Vinnie. You never watch Rock? What? You never saw Rocky Horror Picture Show? And she give you that look of disappointment. You're just like, and you crumble inside. You're like, oh. Yeah, because I just I feel so left out because everybody's making it seem like like this is because it's one. It feels like it's one of those movies like okay. you have to see it. Like I think oh, that's why. Oh, it is. It's one of those. I think it's one of those cult classics you have to watch. And once yeah. you watch, it's like okay, what other ones are out there? Because there's a lot of them, and we should probably do cult classics. I should probably. I, I think after or starting with Rocky Horror, we start doing just cult classic ones that are like weren't really critically acclaimed, but they're fantastic years later. And there's a plethora of those. Oh, there's a plenty. Yeah, I I, I have one in mind, but we'll. We'll talk about that later. So uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, will conclude Elvis and Boots Go to the Movies. You've heard it right here. Next week, uh, we're going to have the Rocky Horror Picture Show. If Hopefully, if Rhiannon is able to do it. If not, we'll hold off until she for, can. For an extra week or something. Yeah, get so, together. absolutely. So the next one we're going to do is Rocky Horror Picture Show. And um, on that note, we will say thank you guys so much. And uh, make sure you guys jump over to part two, where Elvis and I will be recapping AEW here on the Boochcast. And, of course... The NXT recap with John Tumblin will be there as well. So make sure you guys join us for part two. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure for uh, being in your earphones, in your head today for the past uh, hour and a half or however long it was. Thanks for having us. Um, look forward to doing a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Vinny, have yourself a good night and thanks for having me over. Absolutely, man. Always a pleasure. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a short break here. And when we come back, we will have your review of the Rocky Horror Picture Show here on the Boochcast. So, you guys sit tight. We shall return right after this. How'd you do, I? See, you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little broad dime because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up. By the way I look, don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. 
I'm just a sweet transvestite. Come transsexual, Transylvania. <laughs> Let me show you a rhyme, maybe play you a sign. You look like you're both pretty grooving. Or if you want something visual, it's not too abysmal. We could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. I'm glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat world. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> Why don't you stay for the night? Right. Or maybe a bite. I could show you my favorite obsession. I've been making a man. With blonde hair and a tan And he's good for relieving my tension I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania Hey, hey, I'm just a sweet transvestite So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> But not the symptom. Hello, and welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song Sweet Transvestite from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And let me just say, I had to choose this song for the commercial break because I'm going to get into the reason why I like this song during the review. But let me just say, ever since I saw this movie, this song has been stuck in my head for weeks. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop singing it. I find myself playing it a lot here in the studio when I've been editing all the other episodes that have come out in the last couple of weeks. This song has been stuck in my head, and I have no idea if it will ever get out of my head. I may end up thinking about this song forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and I'm genuinely scared about that. Not because of the content of the song, but just because I don't want to find myself walking down the street and singing it out of nowhere and having people just fucking stare at me, because although I do like the song and there's nothing wrong with uh, being a transvestite I am not one so that that does make things a little bit awkward but overall this is a really great song and I don't want to say anything more about it because I don't want to spoil the review that's about to come up 
And that was Sweet Transvestite from the Rocky Horror Picture Show here on the Boochcast. All right, and now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a popular segment here on the Boochcast that now has a different name. You know it as Elvis and Booch go to the movies. Well, now we're calling it the Boochcast goes to the movies. I'll explain why in just a moment, but first... I have to introduce the man sitting next to me at this current time. He is the AEW correspondent, but also a big fan of movies as well. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back the one, the only, Mr. Elvis Delinsky. Let's go out to the movies. Grab your popcorn and cookies. Let's go out to the movies and have yourself a snack. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Woo, big round of applause for Elvis. Thank you so much for having me, Benny. Absolutely, man. Always a pleasure to have you here. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest joining us on this segment. Words cannot describe how happy I am she's back on the show. She has had a long, long hiatus from the show. I've been dying to get her back here. Uh, You know her as the chief of marketing for the Boochcast. She used to be an NXT contributor, but now she's joining us here for the movie reviews. In fact, she picked the movie that we're going to be talking about in just a moment. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the show... The one, the only, the incredibly talented, Miss Rihanna Mojaleski. Hey, thank you, Vinny. Super happy to be back here, especially for this movie in particular. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this was a, a mind flip. Yes. Yes, for me especially. Oh, 100%. It was simply uh, outstanding. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, if you can't tell by now, I'll we'll, we'll let the cat out of the bag. The movie we're reviewing this week is The Rocky Horror Picture Show. And... Ooh. We picked this show, this movie, okay. for, a variety, for a variety of reasons. Dr. Scott! Uh, the first reason is okay. because this is one of the one of Rihanna's, if not her number one favorite movie of all time. Yes, it is one of my favorite movies. Yes. I watched this when I was five years old. Yes, very young to be watching this movie. Very progressive parents that didn't censor me from anything. And it was game over. That that was my movie. Oddly enough, um, I watched this at the same time you did, but I was a little bit older. So yeah, yeah. Um, it was a good age. I remember seeing it. The funny thing is, I watched I watched musicals growing up. You know, I watched like, you know, um, Filler in the Roof. I watched like Sound of Music. So West Side Story. So I'm watching all these musicals growing up. I watched Annie, you know. So I watched all these musicals growing up. And unbeknownst to me, it was this beautiful treasure of a movie, which, again, I didn't watch this at my dad's house. <laughs> Because uh, I already got the belt, like, for, like, six years. Like, oh, you watched Rocky, huh? <laughs> but that was him. But, like, no. This movie was a fucking gem. It was fantastic. Um, and I think me and Rhiannon had the same conclusion. Even my wife was like, you never watched this movie? Yes. Vinny, you've never watched Rocky Horror. Yes, that was uh, another reason why we picked this movie. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Yes, I, I, up, until, up until a few moments ago, at the time that we're recording this, I had never seen the movie. Now, just to be clear... And I, I keep saying this over and over again because I don't want any misunderstandings. I wasn't hating on the movie. I had just never seen it. It wasn't like I didn't want to see it. I wasn't turned off by it. It just wasn't in the cards. Well, it's a cult classic. It's not meant to appeal to the mainstream. Exactly. Well, at the same time, there's a lot of people who's never seen Gone with the Wind. It's a classic movie. Fair Everybody true. knows like the you know um, the verbiage from the movie. But the thing is, a lot of people still to this day have not seen Gone with the Wind. Are you comparing Rocky Horror Picture Show to Gone with the Wind? Um, it's up there in yeah. my book. Um, I think it's got that kind of yeah. I, I res- think so. I respect that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and it's, what's interesting is I have seen Gone with the Wind, and I've. 
now seeing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So, but this uh, is fresh on you, so like this is like a fresh coat of paint for you. Like at yes, first, it really it's like is. it's like whoa, that looks weird because it's new, but at the same time, it's like it's growing on me. Yes, it, and that's exactly what it was. It was a movie that like when it first started, I was like, okay, I'm laughing a little bit. I can get into this. Then there was then there's one scene where I'm like, okay, this is now this is getting kind of dumb. And then in walks Tim Curry, and I'm sold. Yep. Like. I am, it is all downhill, and I mean that in a good way. I'm, I am now on the edge of my seat enjoying this film. It was... He's, he's literally wearing, like, a garter belt right now. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure you guys in the studio can't see this, but we're here, and uh, I didn't think we were supposed to dress up for this show, so it's kind of weird. He's wearing, like, the lacings and the high boots. It's kind of weird. Yeah, Vinny, you've definitely been practicing walking in those heels. Yeah, he's got his hair done all. Like, it's weird. I don't hate on me because I got great legs. He's, he's a sweet transvestite. <laughs> From transsexual Transylvania. See, oh. just one time watching the movie, and he's got this thing like down, like that was him. I just, I Blake's it. watch out. Vinny Bucci is coming to a bu- to a bar near you. Yeah. Next thing, we're gonna go take him to Lips. We're gonna brought that cherry too. Oh, oh man, boy. that's gonna be amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna buy him a Chicago Bears shirt just for fuck's sakes and take him to a gay bar and see I what see. happens. The Bears. The Bears. The Bears. Oh, yes. Are so, you choking on the sausage there, Vinny? <laughs> 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 Not yet, but anyway. Whoa! <laughs> so there's a possibility. Hey, wow! Look, Tim Curry will make anyone question their sexuality. Hey, man. Oh, I know. Yes. I can't control what turns me on at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 12 o'clock for six hours. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's open season at this point. I was. This quarantine has really challenged Vinny in the most (laughs) absurd way. He is so lowly. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies in particular, and men now apparently, if you're a single man or woman who needs some loving, some Bucci loving, who wants some mashed potatoes in their gravy, Vinny Bucci is your man. Thank you. He is single ready to mingle. This is a sponsored ad for Vinny Bucci. Yes. VinnyBucciSingles.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm so popular I get my own dating site. It's yep. just me. That's right. <laughs> Date oh, Vinny. Females only need a fly. So. Just, you don't have to swipe left or right. You just download the app. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you got to do. Don't swipe it Yeah, big snuggy teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, uh, so, of course, uh, in the movie, the show comes up. So, we got this criminologist guy calling himself the expert, which I think is really cool. So, he's narrating the tale of this newly engaged and innocent couple, Brad Majors and Janet Weiss. Fantastic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who find themselves lost with a flat tire on a cold and rainy late November evening. Uh, they're near a, co- a town called Denton in 1974, which uh, this was the only part that made me go, what the fuck is this crap? Was them, I get this is a musical, which I'll be honest, did not know that going in. Um, I knew it obviously when we were talking, but like a lot of people were talking about like when they first saw the movie, what their impressions were. And um, I remember, I think Elvis, you said you thought it was a porno. Oh yeah. So if we're getting first impressions, just based from the um, cover of the DVD, VHS, yeah, exactly. and everything else. So mind you, I watched when I was 13. Rihanna saw when she was five? Five. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So... Do keep in mind, um, I was a very sheltered kid before the tender age of 13. So before that, I was kind of like, you know, unbeknownst to a lot of different things. So I remember when someone played it for me, I saw the cover. I'm like, this isn't porn, is it? So I guess my first impression, just based on the cover of Rocky yeah. Horror, I thought it was a porn. I'm like, oof, okay. This is, yeah. I'm 13. Okay, whatever. Um, Rhiannon, what did you think of the cover when you first saw it? What did you think? 
Honestly, I think I thought it was like going to be a scary movie. Like, okay. kind of like yes. what Vinny said. Okay. Well, I mean, it had a horror on the front. Right. Uh, I mean, at and five, the blood from like the right, um, right. Uh, Rocky Horror. Yeah, you're at right. At five years old, I didn't know. I, I was, I remember it vividly. We were going, we were in Ohio. We went to my mom's friend's house, um, Lynn. And, you know, as most parents did back then, it was like, oh, I put my kid in front of a TV for a little while. I'll get some adult time and she'll be fine. My exactly. parents Two did, hours and a half, right. you're fine. My Exactly. 90s parenting. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> my parents did not. I was 100% a latchkey exactly. kid. Exactly. Took my own dinners, all that stuff, put myself to bed. Thank you, mom and dad. I'll rock myself. <laughs> Fuck you, <Yes>. mom. <laughs> <laughs> but, so I remember, and my, they had one of those, I don't know how old our listeners are, but we had one, she had one of those um, TV, where her TV sat on, uh, and the sides opened up. Okay, with so it was the doors, with the doors. Yes, it had yes. the side yes. doors. And I oh, remember she was fancy. Through, oh, it. yeah, she was fancy. And it always doesn't open up a little bit. It opened up all the oh, way yeah. back. It was so like it a lazy Susan for VHSs. Yes. So I was like looking through there, and I remember seeing Rocky Horror, and I was like, I always liked horror movies, but I always was petrified of watching them at night because lo and behold, my mom would like want me to watch Hellraiser and Puppet Master. Oh, yeah, when I'm eight years old. And then she'd be like, no, it's going to be great. And then she'd fall asleep, and I'm left there awake. So I'm like, okay, if I'm going to watch a scary movie, I'm going to watch it during the day. I got two parents here. Like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Not what I anticipated, but honestly, just enthralled by this movie. And I'll get into later, I think, why it really, like, yeah. has spoken to me and, like, stuck with me over the years. Yeah, and that's, that was my initial reaction. Like, I thought it was a slasher, slasher flick, you know, something like a horror movie. So, I, and I never really just thought about watching it, you know. And I think, and I, and I realized, like I said, my, I know my mom used to have, like, the vinyl record of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, really? That's awesome. I didn't think about that. That's a good record to have, because I don't really, I mean, I have yeah. a record player and I have tons of records, but that's one album I don't have. Oh. So that's something I'm going to say. The soundtrack to this, I, I don't watch a lot of musicals. I think, honestly, I can say that this is the only musical that I've ever really watched. They just don't really ever appeal to me for some reason. But yeah. this, 100%, like, I would listen to this soundtrack front to back. Because it's, uh, it's, it's good. For, it's good from top to yeah. bottom, you're right. And speaking of record players, I'm going to take this one quick detour in a minute. And I know, Rian, you're going to love this because you, you know my mom for many years. My mom, uh, when I was in middle school, she became like a substitute teacher. And she had to teach a music class. So she brought in her record player to play music and show it to the class. And I shit you not, one of the students, because they asked if I had any questions, raised his hand and said, how do you know where to put the needle? And my mother just stared at him with this evil look. And you know the evil look she oh, had. Yeah. She was just freaking staring. It was almost like you tried to guess her age. That's the anger my mother had at that moment. She, she couldn't say nothing because it's a student. But she just looked at him like, who, who the fuck don't know this? Well, <laughs> well I mean, like, I mean, honestly, I grew up with records. So, I mean, yeah. I knew. But the thing is, like, you know, there's I, a type of, I've never seen it before. You couldn't tell that the lines were the different songs. So there's no way you would know unless you actually had one. Because if you just looked at it... It just looks like a, a little black record with uh, grooves on it, and then oh, you can really tell. Oh, I, I couldn't, honestly. Oh, I, could, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know you, either. You I'm, would or you wouldn't? You would not. I wouldn't okay. have a clue, but I, but as soon as my mom told that story, I was scared to tell her I didn't know. Well, right. I'm just like, like, that. I did, that's a reason why, because we had records, and we had uh, ABBA, ABBA, which is uh, Vinny's favorite album now, our favorite band. <laughs> um... Uh, for other reasons, what, yeah. but at the same you, time, you, you, you and Mama Mia pretty much did it for me. But. 
So, um, but the thing is, like Rikers, I learned everything about them. Um, how to put them on, what music to put on. Not only that, I how to clean them. I used to take wood glue, and uh, I, used to let, I used to go on there, and I'd hold the needle up, and put the wood glue, and it spread all over the place. So once it dried up just a little bit, just peel it off, and you clean up all the nastiness between the records. So, yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. So if you have any records that are broken, are not playing, or skipping, or something, put some wood glue, yeah. and then put it back on there, and see what happens. More likely, it's going to take out most of the scratches, and uh, make it sound amazing. Yeah. But yeah, so I, so I was impressed to find out that it was a musical, and as I mentioned, before like at the age I'm at now I have a better appreciation for like musical theater and stuff so I was really able to get into this I know as a kid the musical theater aspect that would have been a turn off for me because I just didn't like it as a kid the closest thing I, I, I got to musicals was like Grease and Disney films and that was about it okay. so I knew as a kid I wouldn't have appreciated as much as I did watching it so of course like I said the first is kind of like I'm easing into it some parts are making me laugh like the whole damn it Janet laughing my ass off just oh, yeah. how ridiculous and cheesy it is and then we get to the scene where they're it's raining and all of a sudden, they break into song. And it's not even that they broke into song. I'm not even that probably. Wait, wait, wait. I think you're getting ahead of yourself. No, I, I think I think we got to talk about the the Damage Janet song. And when they're at the wedding. So Brad okay. Major's friend gets married. And then she takes up. She's like, do you think that she was just so-and-so? But the cool thing is, in the beginning of the movie, when we see Brad and we see Janet... You don't really see it, but then you saw actually saw um, Dr. F in the background, and then you had Magenta and uh, Riff Raff right yeah, there, too. Yeah. So they're oh, in Columbia, so they're all over there. So it's cool because you focus on the wedding, the people who are getting married. So when you first watch it, you don't notice that they're in the background. You see them, and unless you watch the movie before, it's like, oh shit, they're right there. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. And then, like, and the cool thing is, it's a funeral or it's a, a wedding chapel during the day and a funeral parlor at night. You can tell because they just flip the flowers around from white to black. I thought it was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I, I just recognized it tonight. It's weird. I've seen it plenty of times, but I never rec- recognized it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it is a great song. So they're, so they're sitting in the rain and they start singing in the rain. It's not even the scene. They're just standing there in the rain. I'm like, you just walked to the goddamn house already? Like, this song is going on way too long, way too long. So that part, I was like, all right, now this is getting stupid. Please tell me this isn't the whole film. So luckily, they eventually knock on the door. They're seeking a telephone. That's all they wanted the whole time. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, it was downpouring rain, okay? You gotta keep in mind. Imagine you and Zach in the woods, and then a tire blows out. And you're like, damn it, Zach. I should got that spare fixed. But it didn't happen. <laughs> that, that was one of the wait, the Damn it, damn it, Zach, I love you. They go through the woods, and then what happens is they're in the middle of woods, they're in the middle of fucking nowhere. And then finally they see a light. And there's a light, Benny. There's a fucking light. And they were excited about it because they thought there was hope that light would take them to a telephone to get a person to fix your tire. But guess what, Benny? It didn't fucking happen. It no, sure it did not. It did not. So, and you have to think too, like this movie was meant to be a parody. Oh, definitely. This movie was built to be a parody of the old horror science fiction movies of the 1930s and 60s. So, not only are they gonna make it a parody, but they're gonna go over the top and make it as campy as possible. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, so they walk to a nearby castle, they discover a group of strange and outlandish people holding an annual Transylvanian convention. And they got like the crazy dance numbers, and they're just walking in. You're like, what the hell? And the dancing was actually pretty good in that uh, scene. Yeah. The song Time Warp. Yes. Was like I remember the first time I heard it, and I remember having so much joy for the first time hearing it. Mm-hmm. Just hearing like the chorus on it, I was just like mesmerized. I'm like, wait a second, this song. It's not just the dance itself, but the costumes. And then the the song itself, I was like, holy shit, this is fucking amazing. I I love the song. 
Sometimes I'm at work and I hear the song and I sometimes just put my hands on my hips and just jump to the right. Like it's fucking crazy. Like it, it just it hits you like nowhere. Like you're you're like okay, I'm, I'm I'm reading this. I'm reading a book. I'm doing whatever. And it's like and you you, you stop your thought and you say, let's do the time warp again. Fuck yeah. it. Random thought. Random thought. But it happens all the fucking time. And Vinny, it's gonna happen to you. You're gonna go insane. You're gonna talk to yourself. You're gonna sit there, and go to the bathroom, and take a shit, get a loofah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love you, but then you're gonna be like, time to do the time warp again. If you're in the bathroom right here, I'm like, we got him. We yeah. got him. This was almost like a uh, you know precursor to like things like the Colombian shuffle and stuff, where they tell you, or the Cuban shuffle, where they tell you how yes. to dance. You yeah. Know? This was this is the inception of all of those songs oh, <laughs> right exactly. here. And the pelvic thrust that makes you go insane, ain't, ain't, ain't. Mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, if Frankenfurter pelvic thrusted at me, it would blow my mind. Oh yeah, I can't handle that. Yeah, and, that, and that's exactly what happens because they are soon swept into the world of Dr. Frankenfurter, who is a self-proclaimed sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania, and like the, it's this is one of the things I love about this is the fact that the second he is the camera is first on him, he owns the room. Vinny's face. I, I did. I was like, holy shit. I, heard I have a recording of Vinny's face the first time he saw Tim Curry come out from that cage. He literally jumped. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be on Instagram eventually. Yes. He jumped out of his seat. He was like, what the fuck? It was 12 o'clock, folks. It was insane. And he loved it. I mean, like, his reaction, I was holding it. I hope he wasn't watching. Did you see me when I was recording or no? No, you showed me it later. So you didn't know I was recording at all? I didn't have a clue. Okay, because I was was on my phone. I was like, okay, maybe he doesn't see me. So I was holding it. But at the same time, I think it was holding back. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure if he could see me. Or he's like, I'm like, all right, got him. I got him. Yes. And we got Vinny's first reaction to Dr. F for Rocky Horror Picture Show. That is a lifetime memory. You're welcome. And it was was crazy because I'm like, he just, he he takes off the robe. He's dancing around. And I'm just kind of like, okay. And then all of a sudden, and this is something that, and it becomes an ongoing theme later with, with most of the characters and dance numbers is that I will say this about Tim Curry. He had the legs to pull that shit off. Like oh, yeah. the upper body as a dude, I'm kind of like, all right, it's just there. But then I saw the legs and I went, whoa, that's actually good legs. Like not bad. Like just a comp, just comp- not- nothing crazy. Just complimentary. Like, damn, that was good. Well, so, I mean, I'm, I'm just, lie. Yeah, good legs. I'm just going to ask if someone was to pay a price tag on those legs, how much would one pay for those legs? A lot. Uh, so much money. If so I much. could have legs like those, whew, Lord of mercy. I'd wear shorts. I you know what? I'd I'd wear that lingerie all the time. I would own it. I'd walk around like. I wear curry. speedos. I would wear speedos that says "Kiss the Chef" in the back. Like I totally would. Because <laughs> um yeah man I mean he did some kind of stairmaster or something maybe he was with um uh, Ro- Rocky. <laughs> the thing that I love about this is like from the get go he commands the attention and sets himself as the main person the main focus and 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 immediately you see like the shift of everybody wants to be like they're enamored with him just like the audience is like everyone wants to be his friend everyone wants to do whatever he does i mean later he does some pretty awful things and people just about immediately forgive him you know because he has that presence and he commands that authority but it's it's cool because you know, one of the things that I was reading, um, you know, masculine wise, like physique and, and his attitude, he commands like attention, but he's dressed very feminine. He has the makeup on. So he's, he's very like gender bending and making people question like, what is the line of masculine and feminine? It was kind of balancing is what it was almost in a way. It's kind of weird. It's kind of like he exudes all this manliness and everything at the same time being dressed in drag. It was kind of like this 
whole. I, I remember watching it for the first time. Like it challenged my young thirteen year old mind. I'm like, wow, wow, what am I watching? It was like yeah. you know being introduced. I'm like, wow, this is. I've never seen anything like this before. It's, it, it challenges you mentally to think like, wow, what the fuck am I watching for the first time? I remember being 13 years old. Now I, lo- I can't get enough of it. I can't. Right. I can't. I, I, I love going to the shows. I cannot wait to take you guys. Yeah. I cannot wait to take both of you guys to a show, to Rocky Horror Picture Show, whenever, you know, this whole uh, global bastard takes, you know, is done and over with. Yeah, but once we're exactly. able to go at midnight show, it's going to blow your mind. Not only for the, you're, we're going to enjoy the movie itself and the songs, but the interactions and the actors in the shows we actually get to go to, it's going to blow your fucking mind. But the, you, go ahead. Oh, the, the thing I was going to say is the thing that's cool about this is like, because it's a parody and it knows what it is. It doesn't beat you over the head with these principles of, like, the things that it's bringing up of making you, like, question, like, sexuality or throwing, like, you know, uh, like, homophobia and, like, like, all this stuff. Like, it gives them to you in an entertaining way where if you don't want to acknowledge those and go down that that route, if that doesn't speak to you, it's still going to be entertaining. But if you're somebody that identifies with any form of being different or trying to figure out what's going on like or you know younger and you're questioning like you know do I fit in in this society like it's gonna speak to you on another level without bashing you over the head with it and trying to make some political statement I love that too I mean I think you're absolutely right because I remember watching before I've never seen anything like I mean I'm 13 years old impressionable watching regular TV movies and everything else this is the first like real true like gritty against the grain and you're right without hitting across the head with it it was done so fun it was it it was such a fun experience that you didn't really feel like you you got beat over the head but at the same time you looked at it with open eyes like holy shit that's a whole different way of living a whole different culture that i wasn't accustomed to because it's never been presented to me in any other form before except for this movie right and from an acting standpoint you and i would just say this especially with the type of role he was playing in the year that this movie came out in 1975 we talked about how at the time, this was definitely not something that was embraced. Right. Even and today, it's not embraced. Exactly. But it was even, it was even worse yeah. back then. In 1975. I didn't talk about how they said this for Tim Curry's career for a period of time. Or he, was, he had a hard time getting roles or something. I think it was, one it was, it was for a bit, though. But, like, he got... He got cast on as like you know he did a whole bunch of what horror movies too right but mm-hmm. the thing is like he never got like that big spot like Rocky Horror I think for him was like other than Clue um, and some Home Alone spots whatever but it was nothing anything like a, a standout career just for himself he was always like the person behind a person pretty much he was never yeah, the, the main right. person because when he was in Rocky he was the attention I guess mm-hmm. to me I got, you kind of have the standard he kind of controlled everything and from there he was never actually a, a full on by himself kind of actor I think but more I'm of just, a support yeah, yeah but what I'm trying to make is like with all those circumstances in order to successfully play a role like that you have to be confident and you have to commit oh absolutely there's no Tim way Curry couldn't play that role any other way than how he did it that was the only way that role was going to work in that time period in that circumstance it's like look if you're going to do it you got to do it I mean, and Charles then, Bronson wouldn't do it. I mean, he just wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been so, a whole different movie if Charles Bronson had did it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, of course, the ensemble also includes, we talked about Riff Raff, who, I, I got to say, this is a personal thing for me. Um, at first, I'm looking at Riff Raff, and I'm wondering what was going on. But, and this is, just, like I said, I, I just now saw this movie. So when I hear, and we're talking about parodies and stuff, when I heard mm-hmm. him say, you know, the master's not here right now, I went, <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. I'm like, is that from a scary movie? Holy shit. Scary Movie 2 parodied that. I almost said, I almost said, I almost said out loud, but I had to stop myself. I know y'all were nailed me to a cross if I said it, but I was like, 
I almost said out loud, is that the scary movie too? And I knew y'all would have killed me if I said that. <laughs> so I was like, I, sh- I shut up immediately. But I thought, that's where I've heard that before. But that's your earliest reference. So that's all oh, you know. Right, exactly. So when I heard The Master, I'm like, that's where they took that from. And then I saw Magenta. And it was weird because you were talking about how you thought Rocky Horror Picture Show was a porno. I saw a porno a few years ago with a character who acted exactly like Magenta. You watch Rocky Horror wait, Porn Show. You watch porn, Vinny? Doesn't everybody? What? What? Oh my God! This is a Christian household. This is destroying my my vision of you, Vinny. I'm 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 just kidding. (laughs) What? I'm I'm Christian AF. What are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Since when? (laughs) (laughs) And then of course there's uh, Columbia. I love Columbia. Columbia is my favorite. She was like first like real crush as a kid. Like everybody had Pamela and all you know Pamela Anderson or you know Jim McCarthy, whatever. Thirteen Columbia. I thought she was the bee's knees. I mean, I'm an old person. I'm gonna say that. I thought she was the most attractive woman. I'm old, I think it was because of the hair. I think it was because maybe like the glitter or the sequins that she was wearing. And I liked her voice. Her voice was so appealing. I was like, this voice. I don't know what it is. It was annoying, but it stood out. And to me, it was just significant. I'm like, oh my, oh my god, she's the best thing ever. See, to me, as a as a female watching it, Magenta is like where I land. I love Magenta because she's so cool and casual and she's so confident in everything that she does. And like, she's just one of those, like you take her for granted and she'll kill you. You know what I mean? Like, you don't mess with her, but she's not gonna outwardly come out because she already knows that she can, like, she can she's take the you. Outcome, exactly. Right? Do you know what I mean? She, she is just the like epitome in this movie of like the strong, stable, like confident. Whereas Columbia, to me, spoke to like all the insecurities like mm-hmm. that girls feel and that girls go through and and growing up. So like I I, I like I could identify with her to some degree. But Magenta was the one that I wanted to be like. Yeah, that's and weird. I, and I think that's what was. I think that's what makes it great is the fact that every character you can identify with in some way. Oh, 100 percent. So Absolutely. to have that, so to have that blend was perfect. Well, and the thing that's cool about this is like they cover so many ranges of of people that live and outside of that what you know society deems as quote unquote normal, right? They, they highlight so many like progressive ideas and just people types and personalities and desires and everything that you're going to come in contact with at some point in your life, right? And they, they, the way that they do it is they don't take themselves too seriously. And they let you know that like, hey, so someone might, some guy might dress in, in girls clothes. So what? Some girl might like another girl. So what? You know what I mean? You've got all these different things and they just present it to you in a way that's so casual that you're like, oh, you are was bi- like, you. you're bisexual? Oh, that's cool. Whatever. Like yeah. nobody's, nobody in here, if you look like no one ever reacts to the like sexual nature of somebody. No one reacts to like the over-sexualizedness of anyone or, or any of that. It's more of the shock of just like being different and like like the dancing and just things that are completely out of the like the norm for like the conservative mainstream audience. Exactly. And so then of course uh, after in the midst of all this, we then get taken to Frank's to Frank's lab. Yes. And but he... there is one thing, sorry, before that that sure. I wanted to touch on. So sure, one of the things I really like is in this movie, like Brad and Janet are essentially like the symbolism of the conservative audience. Exactly. Right. And what do they do before they actually bring them like 
actually into the house is they strip them down. Strip them down to like they're just the underwear. Yeah, and it and it, honestly, I've never thought about it before until I've actually like looked at this like in a more critical like view. But it's almost like they had to strip down all of their pre notion like preconceived notions, everything that society has told them. They had to strip them down to nothing so they could actually see what was going on and be more like open to everything that was happening in there. You know what I mean? It was yeah. very symbolic in that way. Yeah, so they literally stripped them down to metaphorically strip them down. Yes. I like that. Yeah, and that, I, I literally didn't even think about that till you just said it. So that's mm-hmm. actually great. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's too close for you, man. Yeah. Good point. You get two points. <laughs> points don't matter. You won't, we won't win anything, but in our eyes, yes. you got two points. Yes, the points are like conversation at a strip club. <laughs> so, in his lab, Franklin... So it leads to more money? <laughs> <laughs> right, that's what I was going to say. I'm like, I've worked at a strip club before. I know how that goes. <laughs> in his lab, Frank claims to discovered the secret to life itself. And he has his creation, Rocky, is brought to life. Rocky! Oh, Rocky. <laughs> oh, Rocky. It's this, uh, and it's this, basically this chiseled dude in a gold like he looks like he looks like a wrestler man he does it like he looks like a white dude with blonde hair he's exactly what hitler had in mind but with like alberto del rio's fucking i mean wrestling trunks that's all it was (laughs) exactly (laughs) you know what if he had the matching gold boots he probably would like an early john cena i guess he had gold boots but he didn't so that's fair but yeah so of course uh and then of course uh the whole thing is that at one point he just gets out of this tank he's running around Frank's chasing after him. Like, he legit, like, loves Rocky. Dr. F created a human, which was Rocky. He he built him in his laboratory in a rainbow glass in case... Man maker, mm-hmm. and yeah. I guess they wrapped him up when he was unwrapped. He was like this chiseled, <clears throat> like you know, this chiseled person. And you know, he's like, you know, Tim Curry's like, Oh man, oh mom, I just made this. <laughs> this is all mine, but let me just be a little bitch for a second. If you think about it, if you like really pay attention, like everyone wants to get a piece of Frankenfurter, yep. right? Everybody wants to be around him, but you can tell like he doesn't want anything to do with like, them. With them, so it speaks to like that loneliness that people feel. So he yeah. literally made Rocky to fulfill that, and it still didn't work. And then you have these like undertones of like having abandonment issues and like what is love and oh, yeah. all of this other stuff, you know. And then they're like critiquing, and everybody's like, "It's wonderful, it's fabulous." And then Columbia goes, "Oh, he's, he's okay. okay. He's okay. He's like, okay." He goes, "I'll get this." He goes, "Well, perhaps I need another." opinion yeah and then he walks over to brad and janet and goes what do you guys think and, and this is my and this is one of my favorite lines janet goes i don't really like all those muscles and he goes i didn't make him for you, you. <laughs> i thought that was fucking great <laughs> so then of course all of a sudden the celebration gets interrupted by eddie who is an hey, ex-delivery boy eddie. frank's ex-lover columbia's current partner as well as a partial brain donor to Rocky, apparently. Yes. Honestly, I never caught on to that until right. this time. He's on a table and half of the brain was there and half the brain wasn't. Yeah, I never paid attention to that or noticed it until... Because there's so much going on. Like, you really have to watch this movie quite a few there, times. There was a lot of... Yeah. So on. much going on. It's in a way... Um, did you guys ever watch... And we should do a BB review on this movie. But did you ever watch Nacho Libre? Of course. Yes. Okay. Um, Nacho Libre, the first time I watched it, I was like, what the fuck i was like i don't know man this is kind of dumb like i don't think this is funny and then like 
I, I thought about it, and then I watched it again. And the second time I watched it, I thought it was the funniest shit I've ever seen. John and I can quote the oh. entire movie. And this is one of those two where you're going to watch it, and it's got to sink in for a while. And then you watch it again, and you can appreciate it more and more. Absolutely. And speaking of that, I will say, there's another movie. Have you, ever, you guys ever seen The Masked Saint? No. The Masked Saint? Yes. It's no. a movie on Netflix. Apparently, Nacho Libre is the comedy version of that film because both were based on a true story. Really? Yes. Huh. There was about it was about a preacher who was also a wrestler, and hmm. so Nacho Libre is like the comedic version of that story. The Mass Saint is like the dramatic version, and in the Mass Saint, it was actually the last uh, cinematic appearance of Roddy Piper before he died. Roddy wow. Rest in peace. Okay. So yeah, that was like it was like it was like Roddy Piper died, then this movie came out. I mean, all the more reason to watch Nacho Libre. Exactly. So we're definitely gonna talk about that. So of course, and then of course Eddie's out here, and of course this is played by Meatloaf. Yes. Fucking yes. great. And we're doing people now. <laughs> do that. So and he rides out of this deep freeze on a motorcycle, and he's chasing everybody around, and Columbia's obviously going crazy, and then. Eddie proceeds to put, he seduces Columbia, gets to Transylvania, is dancing and singing. She intrigues uh, Brad and Janet, and then Rocky starts dancing and enjoying the performance, which then pisses off Frankenfurter. Oh yeah, <laughs> you can tell. And he even gets pissed because he looks Rocky up and down like, oh, whatever, not impressed. And that's like third strike, man. You can't, you can't keep shitting on Dr. F's freaking creation here. No, exactly. You can't sit there and take the spotlight away from Dr. F. So exactly. the whole time you're in a motorcycle making a big fool of yourself, he's thinking to himself, oh, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. Yeah. Well, and we do talk about, they do talk about later how, you know, he, he had Eddie as his lover, yes. right? And Eddie started pulling away from him, acting, you know, different, not keeping in line with what, Dr. Frankenfurter wanted. And so he didn't want that to influence Rocky. And now all of a sudden, here he is. And then Rocky starts acting out. Yes. So it's, yeah, it's just a, a yeah. downhill. And what's interesting is that one of the things that uh, I talked about before, that we talked about earlier, was how we both thought this was a horror movie at first glance. Mm -hmm. And yet the one horror moment happens when he kills Eddie. Oh, yeah. Takes him oh, out with yeah. quite, quite brutally. Yes. It's literally the one slasher moment in the film. And honestly, it was it was one of those things where they didn't have to make it gory for it to be like, oh, God. Like, when you just hear, like, the thud of that ice pick in there, you're like, oh, God. Actually, I just had a theory, guys. The blood we saw on the credits when it first started, that was actually Eddie's blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I well, think I mean, it was. He is the only yeah, one that bled in that movie. That's true. Yeah, he's got like the blood on his like dishwashing gloves and stuff, and he's like got people no, taking them off. He, he's not even taking it off himself. He has somebody else take the gloves off for him. Yes, and then of course he d takes care of that. Then he tries to justify it as a mercy killing to Columbia because mm -hmm. she's in tears. And oh, then no. he takes Rocky to the bridal suite. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah, that happened relatively fast. He was just born and he got laid like a couple seconds later. It just shows you if you have like good abs and muscles and biceps that if you were just born, you would get fucking laid within like minutes. Yeah. But it also speaks to like Frankenfurter and how like, it, yes, like he is very self-centered. Like, you, you know, he doesn't care about, he's very like, 
like disassociated with other people and their feelings. He's more of, I made you to fulfill this purpose and this is what you're going to do now. There wasn't any courting. There didn't have to be any of that. It's, hey, I'm celebrating my success in making you. And he's almost got that like, you know, God complex. Because he just made a person. So yeah, I I mean, I would too. I brought them to life and now I created you. I can, you know, take you out of this world. You're going to do what I want. I don't need to court you. You need to court me. Kind of thing. And that was definitely the attitude that he had. And then of course, so then of course everything starts to dial down. So they start putting Brad and Janet in separate bedrooms. And of course, I'm thinking to myself at first, what the hell are they doing in separate this is, bedrooms? This is the 70s, man, okay? I know they're just talking about free love, man. They're talking about all this different stuff. But this is like in television times. You still had the husband and the wife sleeping in separate rooms. Yep. Am I wrong? Yeah. So that's that's kind like of following. On, yeah, on it's following shows. on the concepts of like the husband and the wife slept in separate different rooms. Well, it's I, unheard of today, but like back then, it was a very taboo thing. Well, they, they didn't sleep in separate rooms. Right. What they happened in right, what happened was they had they had a bed, but it was like the bed was here, the bed was here, and they were never joined together. So they slept in the same room, yeah, but like, not the same bed. Listen, I never saw how the bedroom was laid out in Doctor Epps fucking house or castle. But what I saw was just a circle bed with some canopy shit all around it. So you couldn't really see inside of it. Shit was going down in it. You just couldn't really see it, though. And for some reason, they had cameras that were way more sophisticated than they're supposed to be for the 70s. Yes. Um, you could sit there and teleport and talk about stuff, whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was a different time. Because, like, I think so on TV, you never had the husband sleep with the wife on TV, at least. Or in the movies. Oh, you yeah. Know? I'm just saying they didn't sleep together, and they at least, but the beds were separate. But they weren't they even were married. Like he, he, he asked her to marry, and she said yes. But they weren't married yet, so still considered it That's was true. a sin. Okay, and they are okay. they they are pushing like those extremes, right? Yeah, like, like yes, it's almost like you know a parody as well, parodying like you know the the nuclear family idea and all that. Okay, from like you know the fifties of you know how you're supposed to act as a couple and how you're supposed to act as a man and a woman that are together and what you're supposed to do and all that stuff. What you can't do, like the whole, you know, Janet, I have to save myself. I never would have. Like the fact that like a man was in her bed and kissed her and she lost her mind and said, I was saving myself. Like you didn't do anything yet. You know what I mean? Like, like those things are okay. (laughs) Exactly. And the funny part is each one of them gets visited by Frank. So first, like Frank shows up. (laughs) <laughs> in like Janet's bed and that's all confusing next thing you know boom they're doing it all of a sudden Brad's in his room and Frank shows up in there no no it's 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 a classic like so Janet's in there he uses like his voice which is pretty damn good I think yeah yeah he comes in in a robe and then he's wearing a wig <laughs> <laughs> and then when she grabs his wig she's like what the hell Okay, just don't tell Brad. Okay. He goes in Brad's room. He's wearing a wig again using her voice. And same trick, same line, same everything else. So, um, no, I thought it was pretty clever. I thought it was pretty funny. And, like, both of them, of course, fight at first. No, I could never do this. Well, okay, a little persuasion. Let's fucking do it. Right. Exactly. Like, it just... It, it actually worked. Like, it was actually a pretty cool idea. You should try this sometime, Benny. <laughs> nah, sorry. I'm Benny Bucci, not Jerry Truman. But I That's like, more his domain. I, I liked it because, okay, yes, if you're engaged to someone, you know, in, in a relationship, we're not trying to, like, I'm not trying to say that you should cheat on anybody. But the thing that this spoke to the most is, like, this idea of, like, sexual repression and, like, how, like, you're not supposed to want to do those things. And especially as, like, a woman, you know, you're not supposed to, like, want to have those feelings and... You know, you, you, you're supposed to save yourself and all this other stuff. But, like, you know, the idea that that 
owning your sexuality and being comfortable with that is okay. Yeah, I think I think especially back that time frame, maybe. I mean, I don't know. The seventies were kind of a different time, so the ones who were liberated didn't really think that way. Mm-hmm. They're more like, okay, this is easy. But the, for what there was a lot of even, even to this day, there's a lot of diehards. I think we all have that one diehard in our in our group where it's yeah. like, oof, why are you like that? Like, why don't you just relax? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I respect it if that's what you want to believe, you know, and and, and that's totally fine. It's but a it's choice. The, but it's the idea that, like, you know, when when people try to say, like, oh, you know, whacking it is not appropriate. You're not supposed to do that and all this other stuff. i like, people like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, it's like that kind of stuff is normal. Like, exploring your own sexuality is normal. Very much so. And so I think this was kind of speaking to that, like, you know, <laughs> kissing someone is not you know, you're not sullying yourself. You're not dirtying yourself. It's okay. Like, exactly. I had a friend like that, like, in, uh, in high school. Um, this girl I was dating with her older sister. And, um, I mean, I forgot, I mean, what religion they're in or something, whatever. But it was, like, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of punk kids. Um, so I did one of the girls and her older sister. I mean, she was nice. Like, she looked exactly like her sister, but older. They're, like, mm-hmm. almost identical twins. So we're talking. And then she was talking about masturbation. But but she was like, oh, one of my friends told me she masturbates. I think it's fucking disgusting. And I'm like, wait, why why is it disgusting for her? And she's like, doesn't everybody do it and she's like no nobody should be doing that that's horrible that's the worst thing you can do to yourself i'm like no yeah i'm like it's called being a human. And the thing is, like, I'm, I'm a young boy, so maybe because I had more hormones and more testosterone, and I was like, oh, wow, boobs. <sighs> All right, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go to the dungeon. I'll be right back. Yeah. But, like, I was like, you're a girl. You're a couple years older. How, like, how have you not, how, I mean, aren't you curious? Like, really? That at all? Like, how everything works? I will break that myth right now of that the whole guys are hornier than girls. I guarantee you I started doing that earlier than anyone in this room. I think And probably anyone on this podcast now granted i I had a lot of hormone issues which i'll talk about later for medical stuff but seriously like girls girls think about that that's such like a a a myth and just such a weird like you know thing that people think but no girls are the same way but this kind of speaks to that too of like that girl was probably around people like you know females are told like so much like they're over sexualized in like media and everything but then like you know you're not supposed to be like that you know you're supposed to save yourself you're supposed to be pure you're supposed to be you know clean and all this stuff so it's 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 just so weird and that's what i like about this movie is it really like speaks to that and it, it's like you know her struggles stuff is too okay. when she was first in there right well, after the scene when she sitting there fighting with herself like oh, i can't believe i did it and she's like over dramatically talking to herself yeah, yeah. but like, like those are know. conversations like those are thoughts that tons of girls have yeah you know and 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 even guys you know you're told so often that that's so not okay and it, it's no, it's, it's not. It's so crazy. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it's so crazy and it's, like it's it's a pat on the back for the guys and like shame for the girls. It's what it is. Yeah. Well, and it, and it's so it's yeah. so crazy in America. Like people outside of America call Americans like closet freaks. You know, like they try to like put on that they're like conservative and normal in public, but in the in the bed they're like you know some freaky fetish shit going on. Yeah. <laughs> I've always, I remember, uh, and I've always said this, because I know, like, a lot of times the most common stereotype is that, you know, people in England, no offense if you're in England listening to this, uh, the common stereotype is they think that, you know, that all of us are, like, stupid or something like that, and that they're not, and I'm like, and anybody in England that thinks that, I have two words for them. Jeremy Kyle. You ever watch Jeremy Kyle? No. Who's okay. that? Basically, he is the illegitimate 
son of Jerry Springer and Maury Povich. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, it has the elements of Jerry with the lie detector tests of Maury combined into one goddamn show. I would just say Boris Johnson. Oh, that too. Okay, him too. <laughs> My point is, is that I watched a few episodes. I, I, I got addicted to Jeremy Kyle for a period of time. I was going through this rabbit hole on YouTube watching all these photos. This guy, like, he'll have a talk show. He'll bring the most, uh, like, obscene people on his show. But here's the thing. He doesn't pull punches. He will literally, if he thinks you're, if he thinks you're a terrible person, he will call you a terrible person on TV. Let's people have it. And he, and here's the thing. He don't discriminate. I respect that. If you're a guy and you're a piece of shit, he calls you a piece of shit. If you're a woman and you're a piece of shit, he gonna call you a piece of shit. You can burst into tears all you want. He won't fucking fall for it. Yeah. The audience will fall for it, but he's like, nope, ain't working with me. I know what you did. Exactly. He puts you on the spot. But he literally, you would see these obnoxious people. It made me realize, I what I loved most about this show was it made me realize that people in England are fucked up too. Oh, yeah. Like, y'all ain't perfect. Everybody. Everybody in the world, Everybody's man. fucked up. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's fucked Everybody's up. But, you, but you wouldn't, if you're stereotypical-wise, you wouldn't think that. Then you see Jeremy Kahn, you go, y'all are just as fucked up as we are, dude. <laughs> what are y'all talking about? Well, it's yeah. easy to point a finger somewhere else and, you know, like, deter away from yourself when it comes to it. So, I mean, it's easy to point a finger. Americans are dumb. Okay, that's fine. Well, you guys like to fuck well, your I mean, Whatever. Going, like, circling this back to the movie, not to beat, like, a dead horse, but, I mean, what you just talked about is literally this movie. Yeah. You know? Brad and Janet walk in here thinking, oh, my God, these are probably, what does he say, some some rich white folk, or rich folks, weirdos doing yes. all this stuff. Exactly. And they're fainting in the beginning. And she's like, oh, my God, just at the sight of Dr. Frankenfurter. He hasn't even taken off anything. And she's yeah. like, oh, my God. And then by the end, you realize, okay, you guys are committing adultery. Okay, you're actually embracing this lifestyle to some degree. Like, you're just like everyone else. Oh, you know, it, 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 you're human, and it's okay to be human. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I, and I, and I put Janet on blast right now because I remember, like, at one point, like after the whole like incident where Frank basically has sex with both of them. Uh huh. Janet, Janet now storms out. She's like running around the castle. She sees on a video monitor, you know, Frank and Brad, and Brad mm-hmm. doesn't want a cigarette, and she literally looks at that and starts crying, like, "How could you?" And I'm like, you "Just." Them like a few minutes ago. The hell are you talking about? Mm-hmm. At the, as far, it, this is the way I see it. This is the way I see it. it that should that, that cancels it out. Okay, in my opinion, it's like if if if, if he if, if your husband is having sex with this guy girl dude whatever, and you just had sex with that same guy girl dude or a different guy girl dude in general, you know what? That cancels each other out. I look at it like that. You mm-hmm. yeah, you're mad. You mad that he's cheating on you? You just cheated on him. It's a cancel out. Y'all just be like, look, we fucked up. We're sorry. That's it. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Nail me to the cross if you wish. But no, Janet, fuck you on that one. I thought yeah. I put her on blast. Well, on and then one. she goes and gets dirty with Rocky. Exactly. Rocky. I'm like, you, this, this lady is some 50 shades of fun. Well, it wasn't that though, yes. because like, she, she was going through her whole battles in her head. Yep. And after everything was said and done, she sees Rocky. She's like, I had a piece of that already, so let's do it again. And she did even way longer with Rocky. Way longer. Because yeah. Brad, what, I mean, he was up there for a long time. So he had a small time with Janet. He had a longer time with Brad. And then Janet's like, I'm kind of bored. Oh, hey, Rocky. And then all of a sudden, it made up for lost time. Yeah. And all within, I guess they both were virgins walking in. And um, they got laid twice in one night. So who could say that? Yeah. Yeah. Younger. By both parties, too. Exactly. Very interesting. And it was bravo. Bravo, bravo Janet. And, of course, as we mentioned before, it's like Rocky well, coming bravo, out of Brad, No, Brad only got so. one. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then, of course, after discovering that his creation is missing, Frank returns to the lab with Brad and Riff Raff, where Frank learns that intruders entered the building. Uh, we find out this is Dr. Everett V. Scott, who's their old science teacher. Dr. So, Scott! Dr. Scott! Rocker! Champ! Rocker! Brad! <laughs> that scene was great. Rocker! Brad! Brad! Rocker! Scott! <laughs> that, that went on for like way too long. Yeah, it was still but it was so good. That was the thing. Like McLeod. That was the one thing where it's like the longer it went, the funnier it got. Mm-hmm. That was one. That was one of those rare moments with a joke where you can take it as long as you possibly can. It just gets funnier and funnier and funnier. So basically, Doctor Skyman discovered that Eddie is his nephew. Yeah. What? Whoops. <laughs> and, and Frank's getting all nervous, and they're like, "Do you know where he is?" Well, actually, and Frank's trying to shut everybody up because he's like realizing I just killed his nephew, and he suspects that Doctor Scott investigates UFOs for the government. Upon learning of Brad and Jan's connection to Doctor Scott, Frank suspects them of working for him, and Brad denies any knowledge of him. And he's basically saying, "I just wanted a goddamn phone." Right. I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't care what you're doing. You could have just pointed me to a phone, and I left. Okay. I just want my tire fixed. Everything was just a bonus. I mean, after that, so. Exactly. <laughs> this, as far as I'm concerned, this is Frank's fault because you wouldn't let them leave. Yeah. So. I mean, they he never told them they couldn't leave. They were intrigued. They were, true. They were They were. They could have left any time because everybody else left. Yep. Everybody, like, who was dressed for New Year's fucking left. Yeah. So, yeah. They could have got a ride with somebody. On I a mean, motorcycle. They could have left and just kept walking. That is true. I, I, and I didn't even think about that. That is so true. Mm-hmm. They, they were time. never held, like, truly. There was no lock on the door. There was no, no. latch. There was no they, nails. They were pulled in. They were pulled into this different view and different lifestyle that they had. I'm mean, pretty before. sure at first they tried to leave out when they tried walking through the door, but, like, once they got, like, a good taste of it, they're like, okay, let's see how far this goes. It, it like, the, the movie went as far as their, like, their passion went, really, because at first, they weren't really into it at first, so they kind of, like, leaned into it, but once they really delved into it, they stayed in. They didn't yeah. want to leave. Yeah. They're swimming in the end. Mm-hmm. Don't yes. dream it. Be it. Yep. And, then, and it was just all this chaos, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of it, Magenta comes in with a gong, like, dinner's ready. That is my favorite scene ever she like you've got this serious moment and she just comes through the wall made by dr scott busting through the wall with her gong and she's so proud of herself dinner is prepared (laughs) (laughs) oh it was perfect i love that scene and they literally all just sit down and eat dinner yeah (laughs) but but, but the thing is like it's very deceiving because He's got a turkey cutter, and it looks like he's cutting a ham, mm-hmm. and they're serving it up, and they're all eating. Small slices at first. Now, Rocky's a fucking Neanderthal, so he's just like, you know, fuck a fork, because he doesn't know how to use a fork, because he's only born 20 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> so he's eating away, and then Frank was getting pissed off because Jenna was looking at um, Rocky, he pulls up fucking sheets, and what happens? They see a dead Eddie what? with half a brain. I love the way that he says it. They're like, uh, I forget who asks about Eddie, but he's like, oh, that's kind of a tender subject. Would anyone like another slice? Exactly. And then Columbia just, Columbia's the first one that gets it because Columbia's one that, like, at that table, other than Riff Raff and Magenta, who don't give a shit either way about any of these people because they have a different goal in mind and they just want to go home, you know. Columbia's the one that knows Frankenfurter and knows how cruel he could be. And it immediately dawns on her. That this is Eddie's mutilated Yes, it takes everyone a little bit longer, but she's instant. Yes, and then all of a sudden, like, when Frank, Frank gets even more pissed off, pretty much... 
bitch slaps Janet like Dexter. I forgot about I, that shit. Holy yes, crap. I forgot about that. And you know what? Honestly, like that's kind of progressive as well. You know, even nowadays, like if we want to talk about like wrestling, it's really rare that they let the guys and the girls like you know fight together and stuff. Yeah, I've always been a proponent not of women beating or not of anybody beating, and in this case, Janice didn't. You know. uh uh, or Janet didn't um, like hit him or do anything first, so and she almost like walked away. She was like, like, "It's like she got hit, and she was like, oh, I hope I didn't get mad.' It's like it's like weird." Yeah, but like I've always been a proponent of if a woman starts some shit and wants to beat up on a guy, like you're asking for it at that point. Thank like you. like Thank you, you you deserve to get decked. You know, if a, a woman can can hurt a man just as much as a man can hurt a woman, exactly. I can stab you with a knife just as much as you can stab at me with one amen but in this case this kind of like pulls into that more like you know gender bend as well too of like do you see is 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 it okay that frankenfurter slaps her because is it you know you see that like girls will slap each other right girls will get into cat fights nobody like makes a big stink of it right but if a guy like randomly gets into a fight with a girl on the street it's a you know oh my god everyone's pissed yeah. Right? Which I agree. You know, a guy shouldn't just haul off and just deck a woman. Exactly. You know, but in this case, like, Frank is kind of one of the girls at times, and he just kind of bitch slaps her. He doesn't, yeah. like, punch her or anything. He does it in a very, like, feminine, like, you just slept with my husband kind of, like, psh, you yeah. know? Yeah, because he's very over the top with every, every even when, like, at times when he was whipping riffraff. Like, he was very over the top with how he does oh, it. Oh, yes. It doesn't look like someone actually hitting you. Like, he has the look on his face and the... Like, like every... He delivers... Some, it, he delivers a beating in a comedic way, which I thought was very Like, weird. in the most graceful comedic way, but exactly. still, like, authoritative. And touching on that thing you said about how, like, you know, even though he's a guy, he, he behaves, like, feminine at times, that was always a trans-related question that I've always had. And that's the thing about me, is that I'm... I'm one of those people that when I don't understand fully uh, uh, um, anything, whether it's a culture or an orientation or whatever, I'm the type of person I ask questions. Yeah. And I ask these questions not because I want to be phobic of anything, it's because I want to learn. Yeah. I'm trying, you don't learn unless you ask questions. That's why they tell you in school, raise your hand if you have a question. Although some teachers will set you up for that, but I'll listen to the story for another day. My point is, that was always a question that I had, was the whole of I identify as this was always a question. It was like, and I use, I use Caitlin as an example. Like, you know, okay, fair enough. Like, I never understood that concept. Like, okay, like, my philosophy is like, if you want to be trans, be trans, live your life, go ahead. But the whole thing, like, I'm a woman now, so I get all these rights, like, that was something I was always like, okay, I draw the line right there. But here's what was my question. Like, let's say hypothetically, Kim Kardashian and Caitlyn Jenner got in a fight. Like TMZ, they're, they're in the parking lot, they're yelling about something. Next thing you know, there's this big fight and they're like beating the shit out of each other. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Oh well, yeah, hopefully. Just beating the shit out of each other. My big question would be, what would the headline in the paper say the next day? Would it say, Kim and Caitlyn get in a cat fight? Or would it say, Bruce, Dex, Kim, Bruce is a monster? Oh, 100%. What would the question be? But see, this, this doesn't have to do with what like... What kind of sandwich do you want to eat? That question doesn't tie into things about gender. That ties into just media wanting to get, well, you know, too, whatever yeah. the most confrontational headline would be, which would be Bruce. But I, but that, I but that, well, that was my, that I was get, my crazy example to yeah, the question that I have. I get where you're going. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that's a difficult one, but exactly. because especially with someone like me, like I don't care what gender you are. If you hit someone else, 
you deserve to get clocked right back. Oh, absolutely. There is none of this, I'm a woman, so I can beat the hell out of my boyfriend and I have no repercussions. Like, hell no. And for any of their listeners out there, if their girlfriend is doing it, tell me and I'll show up at your door and I'll beat the shit out of her because you don't deserve that. And then there's that whole like, you know, we go back to, you know, guys getting beat up by their girlfriends and they're afraid to say anything because, you know, then you have guys like, what are you, like a pussy or something? Like you can't, yeah. you know, it's just, that goes down a, a path that's for another conversation. Exactly. That was just... <laughs> That, that just popped into my head, and that's why I'm yeah. going to bring that up. But yeah, so, and this, and then next thing you know, they're, Frank is now chasing Janet throughout this castle. And to me, this is the funniest shit in the world. And I'm going to tell you why <laughs> this is the funniest shit in the world. Because in this chase scene, and I don't know if it was because of how the camera had to capture everything, because I always, because as someone who's done films, I look at things from a film perspective as well as, mm-hmm. you know, the actual scene. You're still in VR. We get it, yeah. Vinny. Yeah. We, we so, get it, Vinny. So, so we get a different perspective, and that is, um, he, they were way too close to each other for Frank not to just reach out and be like, I caught you. How is you, how are you this close to each other and you're still having to chase each other? Like, you're way too close. You're still in a drama, man. Exactly. You like watch I'm, wrestling? Like I'm, I know, but at, at least... <laughs> kayfabe, baby. Kayfabe, thank you. I remember mean, kayfabe, but that was ridiculous. Like, the fact that they were just like... I mean, I can understand if she was like really... Like, like if she was running through the ca- through the castle and then there's a scene with Frank coming up behind her like one by one, but they were like insanely close to each other. But you have to think too, like Frank knows... Well, in, in Frank's mind, he is the boss. Yeah. I mean, he has it tattooed on him, right? So at that point, like, I don't need to show you that I'm the boss. I don't need to catch you. I can be that predator that's playing with their prey, right? You're scared. I'm going to keep messing with you to keep scaring you. I'm going to keep treating you like the keep way... Keep pressure on. Yeah, I'm going to keep, you know, going down this path because I can. I don't have to catch you. That's the thing is, like, he knows I don't have to catch you right now and beat your ass. Because I'm just going to keep mentally screwing with you, you know, because I have that power and that ability. Okay. I mean, he thinks he's untouchable. He has that God complex of, I created this person today. I just, who are you to be, earthling? Exactly. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Hey, guys. So now, uh, eventually, everybody, Janet, Brad, Dr. Scott, Rock, and Columbia, they all meet in Frank's lab. Where Frank catches them with the Medusa transducer. Yeah. Okay, can, can, can we explain what that is, Vinny, please? Uh, yes. Basically, it is a machine that, upon flipping the switch, turns them into nude statues. Except for Dr. Everett Scott. They will not make a, a disabled person in a wheelchair nude, apparently. That was kind of weird. Everybody else <laughs> was like, yeah. it's like, it's like the women had like big bushes and their breasts hanging out, and the guys were just like, yep, I'm it here. It was kind <laughs> of like an awkward line to draw in the sand. You exactly. Know? Like, we've, we've done all this other stuff, but we won't dethrone or, or, or you know, show this quote-unquote disabled person. Like, you yeah. know, hey, they're equal too, man. Exactly. They're handy capable. Miss the R. Some guy will be lo- will be happy with that old man. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Easy and, access. And his stockings. Exactly. And his stockings. Who got exactly. healed at the end of the, the <laughs> <laughs> magically healed and could use his legs. He's like, oh, whoa! Look at these amazing legs. Yeah, check out these <laughs> stockings. Epic. Now that was hilarious. <laughs> so then uh, Frank then dresses them up in a cabaret costume, unfreezes them, and they perform a live cabaret floor show complete with and I have to say this because John when he was in here we both popped for this one an RKO tower (laughs) 
That made the whole movie for me. Oh really? Since that was that it? was it. Yeah, that, that was, was that was the pinnacle. That was like oh so my glad God. Randy Orton has to be involved in our movie. Leave it to Vinny to <laughs> bring it back to a wrestling. I didn't put the RKO there. <laughs> they did again. I see RKO Tower and I went no. You know, RKO was a radio broadcast back in the day, right? Yes. Maybe uh, is Randy Orton, like, secretly a Rocky Horror Picture Show fan? Probably. Is he maybe part of the Illuminati? He should be. Oh, shit. (laughs) You never see it coming, folks. We're on a list now, thank you. We're on a list now? Thank you, Elvis. The Illuminati list? Yeah. Yeah. I see you. You just made the list. Yeah, you just made the list. Uh, I see you there. Yeah. Am I doing Illuminati yeah. symbolism for you guys? Yeah. yeah, do you know what happens when you talk about the Illuminati on a podcast where everybody can hear it? What's that? You made the list! Oh, we're we become, on many lists. So, so, so that means we become again, popular. we're on the list again. So, so, so that means that we become more popular, more people listen to our show, we have like a lot of sponsoring from the Illuminati. I'm yeah, cool and then we it. disappear and become uh, shown on Unsolved Mysteries. Mm. <laughs> At least I get my that's, own episode. That, that's a TV appearance I don't want to make. Yeah, I don't no, need that credits. <laughs> I, got enough, I got enough TV credits already. I don't need that one. The Lufa episode. Yes. Uh, the Lufa. Hashtag episode four. Uh, Amazon Prime. The Amazon Prime. Check it out on Amazon Prime. Yes. And you some, will understand the Lufa reference. Yes. The some stomach ache. Eats some, you don't uh, want to miss it. The Booch eats something on episode Shameless four. plug. Shameless yes. plug. <laughs> he doesn't eat a car or anything. Yes. So then there's a swimming pool and Frank's the leader. So now we see this performance you're talking about before. Like they're all in the pool. They're all doing this crazy dances and everything. And of course there's the there's the nip slip from Columbia which oh. double nip slip double. double nip slip and now that I've paid attention there are multiple nip slips yes in yeah. this yeah like she's got a hole in her PJs did yes, you she notice does. that? Yes, she does. And yeah. that she comes right out. And the only reason I noticed it is because when I was oh, I was watching some reviews um, to see what other people were saying about this, and someone was like, "Oh, well, there's only one f bomb, and there's only one nip slip." And I'm like, "Well, I remember there's being one, more. but now I'm like, nope, like there's 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 quite a few more." Yeah, at, at least three since I paid attention. Yeah. Yeah, and then they even have the magazine, you know, that they that's, were flipping through. That's true. So. Yes, yeah, so, so they're, they're just getting crazy in the pool, and that's when the we find out the guy in the wheelchair now has stocking legs yes. and stuff. And, well, one of the things. And then we find out a riffraff and, like, uh, Magenta were, like, actually, like, space heroes or something to get rid of uh, Frankenfurter? Is that, is that correct? Were they, like, undercover or something? No, they were just tired of his shit. Oh. They wanted to go home. Oh, so right. they they came here. Frankenfurter probably, they never touch upon it, but what you can kind of, you know, infer is he uh, persuaded them because as we see throughout this entire, you know, series that he's very good at being manipulative. He's mm-hmm. very good at being persuasive. Um, people just want to follow him and do what he says, even if they like him or not. He's, he's you know, he has that, that attraction, yeah. right? So he's been here. They've been doing what he wants to do. He's enamored, clearly enamored with humans and what it has to offer. And clearly he's looking for something and has been dragging them along for his ride and now they're tired of it and they've mentioned multiple times when are we going home when are we doing this and he just kind of brushes them off so I think finally they were just like well we're done and uh, this is uh, how we're gonna go home I always felt like in in a different way I didn't think about it from that perspective maybe they had gotten tired of their bullshit I always felt like from you know the same perspective he came from I thought they were just undercover the whole time and they're just dealing with all this bullshit to actually get him and finally go back home so I think they went around for his ride too also for a while but also to get rid of him? 
I don't know. Mm, I, guess, I don't know. I didn't quite get that. I, I, I guess I, that, that was my first impression, but now I'm thinking about it too. It's like no, they just got sick tired of his shit because finally, like, I mean, Riff Ruff got like got smacked with a whip like three or four times. Yeah, like I hard. Mean, I mean, they, if it wasn't for that hump, he'd be fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he got. He, it was his like like we've talked about before. He has this god complex. I've done all this this thing. Like I am untouchable. You know, I have literally manipulated all these people. I have this massive following of people that like love me and enamor me I'm untouchable you're gonna do what I want and finally they were like you know what no like we see through your shit like we are fully capable we've been here helping you and now you're taking us for granted and now you're inhibiting us from going home we're done like you can kind of tell they were getting to that point oh yeah just like when Riff Raff's like he never liked me you know no one ever liked me Actually, he's one of my favorites. Now, one of the things that I did want to talk about with the pool is, so you have this scene where he's talking about, you know, don't dream it, be it. Mm -hmm. And he's in this pool. But if you look, what's at the bottom of that pool? It's uh, Michelangelo's... um, The creation of man. The creation of man, yeah. Right. So, like, there's a whole lot of symbolism there. Like, this whole movie kind of talks about, like, being human, being yourself, owning who you are, no matter what kind of, like, you know, let your freak flag fly kind of thing. Like, be who you are. Everyone's different. And then you've got this symbolism of someone who embodies almost everything. Like, we kind of talked about... Frankenfurter embodies almost every single, like, aspect of, like, humanity that you can kind of think of like and 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 different desires and and aspects and things in a pool over the creation of man like if you are religious in any way or you want to look at something from a higher power like it's kind of the symbolism of you are created how you are and just own it don't dream about being who you are because of all the constraints of everything else that goes on and what society tells you just be it be who you are because you were made this way yeah you know i thought i didn't honestly like it looking at this from a more critical view like i've always loved this movie and it's always spoken to me in different ways but like looking at it now there's so much more that goes on with this movie that you know you miss until you You have to watch it you have to watch it a bunch of times there's so much things like i think at first you get intrigued by the music and the way there's so much things like running a million miles an hour Mm -hmm. yeah we have time to dissect and digest this movie it's like okay i gotta watch it again it's like because the thing is like you know you watch this certain points again but it's not as high on your radar anymore you start noticing some other thing on the left like if you're looking to the left maybe you're looking to the right this time and a whole bunch of different things so i mean this i loved it i mean i mean round table discussion would you recommend this movie to anybody i think it's a resounding yes from you right 100 <laughs> percent, absolutely uh just from it's just from everything we were saying before about you know the, the stuff you can learn from it but the entertainment value alone i would recommend it like i would say this if you are a diehard fan of tim curry this needs to be a movie you see Yes. Because it is it is Tim Curry in all of his glory. Mm-hmm. Not since Stephen King's It have I seen Tim Curry steal a show the way he has. That's the only other movie I've ever seen him like be the guy. Yeah, that's a good point. Like that's that, and that's the thing to me. Like I no disrespect to the Brad I'm hoping saying his name right. It's the Brad Skarsgård guy that's doing Pennywise now. Mm-hmm. He's great. Love loved it. Uh, the first one was a bit iffy. The second one I kind of liked. Um, so I'm not hating on it. But Tim Curry was that character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he embodied that so well. It was a moment where he was the star. No disrespect, again, no disrespect to John Ritter who was in there, but he was the star. It was hard to watch John Ritter in that movie, I ain't gonna lie to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the beard and like him going with the girl, I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. John Ritter. <laughs> Ritter. Yeah. Come on, buddy. That's... Where's Chrissy at? Where's Janet? Exactly. This ain't right. Oh, 
I actually saw this movie with John Ritter in it. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now off the top of my head, but it was where he got sucked into a TV world. It's this very old movie from the oh, 90s. Oh, I do remember that. There's this. There's a cameo scene where he ends up in Three's Company and the two girls come walking out. I laughed so goddamn hard. What movie was it? Uh, it's two, two something. I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I think it's Stay Tuned. That's what it's called. Stay Tuned. I found it on Amazon Prime, which is also there in addition to Boots in the Car. Yep. So, Watch it. Episode four. Yeah. So, yes. so, uh, <laughs> I couldn't wait. <laughs> we will tell that story another day. Yeah. So, so anyway, so like I said before, Riff Raff Magenta interrupt the performance. They reveal themselves and Frank to be aliens from the planet Transsexual in the galaxy of Transylvania. So now we get that whole yep. song from the beginning. They stage a coup and announce a plan to return to their home planet. In the process, they kill Columbia and Frank, who has failed his mission. And Frank has this great final solo performance, which I thought was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then an enraged Rocky gathers Frank in his arms and climbs the top of the tower like King Kong with Fay Ray, just climbing up there. And he's doing the grunts and everything, and it is hilarious. And then he plunges to his death in the pool. They had to shoot him like five, six times to yeah. like kill him. Yeah. Yep. And I'm assuming that's because he was created. That's why it was so hard to kill him. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. I just think he was the muscle-bound idiot where he just took a whole bunch of bullets before he actually went down. Um, where, okay. you know, I think Tim Curry's a little bit older than... I mean, he was more than 20 months years old, so um, he probably took more damage. That's all it was. He was yeah. a big muscle-bound brute. He was a mutant. He was a creation. That is true. That and, and this scene also, like, shows you just how delusional Tim Curry was, you know, or, or Dr. Frankenfurter was at this point, you know, and how highly he thought of himself, even in the face of someone telling him, like, you know, you're done, you're through, we're gonna kill you, like, you're our pri Well, at first he says you're our prisoner, and he was like, oh, well, just wait a second. Let me explain and goes into this huge production where he like is in Which, his own world like and you kind of get this view of what it is like to be in Frankenfurter's head Dr. Frankenfurter's head that's what he sees that's what he right. sees he's on a stage at all times at he's always times. on right and he just believes that everyone is completely enamored and in love with him and it's not until literally Riff Raff and Magenta like are in his face like and they kill Columbia that he realizes and is brought immediately back to reality that no, this is not how things are. And he has that moment of, oh God. And you just see how without all of that power and that, that manipulation and everything, he He's is- He's a scared boy. He was just scared, yeah. Just like everybody else is. Yeah, it's like that look of fear in his eyes like before they killed him. It's yeah. insane. And then of course, after all this, Riff Raff and Magenta decide to let Brad, Jan, and Dr. Scott go because they're gonna depart by lifting off in the castle itself, mm -hmm. lifting it off. And then they're left, the survivors are then left crawling in the dirt. And the narrator concludes the human race is equivalent to insects crawling on the planet's surface. And he closes it with saying, lost in time and lost in space and meaning. And then walks out the door. Mm -hmm. Bravo. That was some powerful shit. That was almost as powerful as a while back when we did The Matrix when they talked about, you know, when you said like human beings being a virus. Mm -hmm. I think this had that same powerful message. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I, even though this was before that, I, that's the earliest reference I have. So I thought when I heard that, like, you know, the insects thing and I was like, wow, like that. Because before this guy was just, the narrator was just kind of there. And then he was doing like some goofy shit in the middle. So to have him close out the whole thing with that powerful like message, I thought was perfect. 
Yeah. Like it was okay. We there's here's the entertainment, but here's why. Like he said, I'm the expert. Right. Mm-hmm. What, what makes this guy an expert? And then it's like that last sentence is like, this is why I'm an expert mm-hmm. because I know this. And he walks out, and I'm like, that's badass. So well, I, plus I he was reading. A, plus he was reading like a, the murder file. He was the expert because he had the file of what happened that story because that story already took place. So by the time he's reading it, everything that happened and transpired actually happened in real time. It happened before, so it wasn't something that it was something happening now. He was telling a story. Am, am, am I getting this wrong? He mm-hmm. was reading a story. The Dresden Files, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, he, so yeah, he was. Um, he was yeah, narrating through it. their statements. Yeah. So he's going through statements. He had the pictures of uh, Brad and Janet, and talked about everything that happened, where it happened. He even had like a map of where it happened. Mm-hmm. So everything we, it's almost like watching Unsolved Mysteries. It's almost like Robert Stack or, or with John Walsh, right? Yeah. Yeah. John Walsh going through story. America, I can't believe it. Boy, you got this killer on the loose. It's like, yeah. oh shit! It's like if you have any information, if you got information. I'm like. <laughs> On the disappearance. Damn, John. <laughs> what are you scaring me for? All right. So, Dr. Frankenfurter's at fucking, like, at Pilot J's or what's, what's that gas station for truckers? Flying J's. Flying J's. J's. Right? You would know that. I know that. <laughs> Flying J's. Or you got loves. There's loves. Oh, loves, yeah. yeah. With the little yeah. hearts and everything else. Yeah. I've heard of that place. But, um, so, definitely recommend this movie. I would recommend it to anybody. Um, keep an open eye. Keep an open heart. An open mind will definitely help you out if you're going to watch this movie. You have to. Um, if it's your first yeah. time, because if not, then you're going to sit there and be like, well, this movie just ain't for me. I would say if it's your first time watching it, like, don't get caught up in all the symbolism and all the underlying themes and everything like that. Like, the first time you watch it, I think you should just enjoy it and just see how it speaks to you personally, like, and what it is. And, like, you can watch it again and later, but just enjoy it the first time. Because even if you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of all the the commentary that we've been talking about when you delve deeper into it. Overall, it's just a very entertaining movie and it's going to affect everyone differently. It's an onion. It's an onion. And the thing is, the more you peel back and the more you look at it, it's going to be, you start uncovering a lot of things, not only about your movie, but about yourself too. So um, this movie's an onion. I love it. Absolutely. And one thing I'll I'll say, and I know it's going to sound like I'm talking about me, but I just, using myself as an example. Of course. Why wouldn't you, man? If you're going... (laughs) Rude. If you're going... <laughs> if you're watching, if you've seen this movie already, and you have a friend or a relative or whoever who has not seen the movie with the first time for the first time, if they've never seen this movie before, watch it with them because, and this is just a theory, I could be 100 percent wrong, but like Rihanna and Elvis, y'all have seen this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. I think you guys genuinely enjoyed, and I could be wrong. Like I said, you taped the reaction on my face when Tim Curry came out. Like I think, as much as you guys love the movie, you also love the fact that you're seeing me watching this film, going, "What the hell is that? What the hell is going on?" Like mm-hmm. I think it's like the happy. It's like I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, "Holy shit, this is actually really good." Yeah. So I'm like, I, so I think you'll get just as much excitement watching it again if you're watching somebody who's never seen it before and you see their eyes lit up and you see their reaction to it because it actually is a damn good movie. Right. And it, it is hard because if you've seen it before and you love the movie, you want to overhype it and you want to be like, you're going to love it, you're going to love it, you're going to love it. And sometimes you can... You can oversell You can it. oversell something and then it might not meet their expectations. So like when I know like... I didn't even want to really give you much. I mean, we probably gave you too much like information going into it than I probably wanted to, to have you sit down and watch it. You know, like if you can let someone like completely like, like a virgin, like watch this with, with no preconceived notions of what it is. Like it's going to, I think speak to them and be more enjoyable. Yeah. 
But I think it's like, this is the kind of movie that, you know, it's either you've watched it or you haven't. There's no way. Because, like, if you're over the age of, let's say, 14, mm-hmm. hypothetically, 13, 14. If you're over 13 and haven't watched it yet, you've probably never heard of it. You've probably seen, like, a logo. You've probably seen something about it, but you haven't watched it. So if you know it, you know it. If you don't, then you don't. I'd That's honestly say, too, if you know someone, like, even a kid, I mean, this... I think spoke to me on a lot of levels when I was younger, even when I was five, like, you know, just, but really in like my, my, I guess you could say like preteen era, like mm-hmm. when you would have watched it. Like I personally have medical issues. I have something called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, it affects my hormones. When I was younger, my body created a lot of testosterone. I was called a guy on the phone. I was told my shoulders were too broad. I was told my arms were too hairy. Like I was told so many things things and I struggled like with this idea of like okay but I'm a girl like but why am I like this dichotomy of masculine and feminine and what it is to be each and I you know I struggled with that so much that I think this movie kind of spoke to me on such a different level um so I think if you've got someone in your life that feels different or is struggling with like you know, their gender or their identity or just fitting into what society tells you is what you need to do to be normal. Like introduce them to this. I can't tell you how many people on YouTube were like, you know, I struggled as a kid and like my dad showed it to me and was like, don't ever tell your mom that I showed you this or don't tell your grandma I showed you this or the like crazy uncle or aunt showed it to them and they were like, it was life changing because it like showed them that it's okay to be who they were and gave them that like acceptance. And maybe that movie was never meant to do that, but that's what it's done for people. And it's almost like built this community for people. So like, that's why it's become like a cult classic. You know, everyone doesn't have those same issues, but for the people that were outsiders and the people that were different, like this is their movie, man. Oh yeah. That's why, like I said before, like I, one of the jokes I was making earlier when like, you know, Elvis was saying, you know, I, I think I can't remember what we said, but I was like, I was like, ah, I said, I'm Vinnie Bucci, not Jerry Truman. And I say <laughs> that because the reason I was able to understand so much about uh, Dr. Frankenfurter is because, is because I hung out with Jerry for so many years. Right. And he has that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And he literally, like, explains it to me. And we talk about it all the time. And and I'll admit, at first, I was kind of like, you know, because he liked to over he liked to overshare stories and stuff. And sometimes I'd be like, oh, it's a little bit. And that was, like, the first, like, year or so. Yeah. Now, literally, Jerry could walk in here right now. I could talk to him as if he, as if it's no big deal. He could say, so, like, like, dude, how you doing? I was like, oh, yeah, oh dude, I just banged this training. And I, I just banged this training last week. Way to go, bro. Like, and we literally just fist bumped. Like, he just banged. Like, he just got laid. Yeah. That's all. I and literally that's how it is now. Literally, other people look at us like, "The fuck did he just say?" I'm like, "What? He just got laid." And I just, it's normal because we hung out for so much. Mm-hmm. And I think having a friend like Jerry helped me to understand, appreciate his character a lot more. Don't get me wrong, I love the character regardless because it's just Tim Curry being entertaining. Right. But I was able to understand the identity stuff that you were talking about mm-hmm. because of him. Yeah. I can say that. I I I lucked out because I had Jerry Truman. Some of y'all don't have Jerry Truman, so you're gonna have to have an even bigger open mind. Well, it's it's it. it's hard to be friends with Jerry Truman because he's like a leprechaun and like a unicorn. He's not there all the time. When he's there, <laughs> you better cherish it when it's there because 
I love Jerry Truman. He is like an amazing person. He is such a fucking cool ass motherfucker. Like he used to come to my watch parties for wrestling, and he he come every so often. And I remember I got his phone number finally after like after he come to my show after like four or five times, whatever. He I, I finally got his number. I remember I used to call him from work, and it was the biggest. It was the funniest thing because he's a funny dude first and foremost. But he would take up so much of your time on the phone that by the time I used to go from Alfreda to Marietta, so it's about half an hour, 35, 40 minutes, whatever. I used to talk to the motherfucker and it'd be we talk about everything and nothing and I feel like I gained so much just by talking to him I fucking love Jerry Truman he's the best if you, <laughs> if, when you meet him you'll see what I'm talking about it's it's like one of those rare myths like if you're friends with them hang out with them as much as you can because otherwise when it's gone you're like I miss those Truman days <laughs> but this like I, I don't know Jerry I haven't actually got the pleasure of meeting Jerry but like this movie is kind of like that like it's Something that, in an entertaining way, like, introduces you to those things without, like, in an easily digestible way. So, like, when you do encounter that stuff later in life and people who, like, you know, are different than yourself, you're more open to it, you know? It's it's almost like a training video, almost, in a way. It's almost like it sets you up for life. It's kind of like, okay, well, these are the possibilities of people you can't meet. And it wasn't, it was kind of exaggerated a little bit, but at the same time, it's like, it was those personalities just kind of like, you know, made it fun. But hey, this is the kind of personalities that are out there. Be careful. Keep your eyes open. Have fun. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the great thing about this is, you know, some people are scared. Everyone's scared of things that they don't know. Right? Of course. And exactly. so if you can, like, be like, oh, man, like, I love this character. I love this movie and whatever. And you meet someone that, like, you know, is bi or, you know, just different than yourself or anything. You've already, like, grown to enjoy this movie. And it's kind of like, oh, well, you're just like, you know, this movie. Like, why would I be scared of you? Why would I see you any differently? You know, it, it's just there's so much good about this movie. Like, I think everyone should watch it. It should be like a staple. Absolutely. I wish um, I wish I had a friend who talked like Ruth Raff on a constant basis. Yes. I, I just love his voice. I would agree with that. I mean, I just have a conversation like, you know, you just talk to him. Like, I'll call Vinny and he sounds like Ruth Raff. He's like, Elvis. Yes. <laughs> time to do the podcast. <laughs> Your master normally doesn't let me talk. The preacher has escaped. <laughs> Zachary Scott has escaped the gun. <laughs> I didn't make him for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be stuck in my head. I, I'm debating whether or not to make that the title of this episode. I'm, I'm deciding between that and Damn It, Janet. I haven't decided which one yet. What was it, was it, what's the choice between the two? Uh, I didn't make him for you or Damn It, Janet. Mm. Damn it, Janet. Damn it, Janet. It, it, yeah. It, it definitely Damn it, Janet. More. Okay. All right. So we're gonna go with that. And um, so, do we have anything else to say about the film? <laughs> or if we? No, I, I I love it. I would give it two thumbs up. I'd recommend it to every uh, young boy, girl, and boy, old person alike, anybody who could I, who could listen to me. I'll, I'll jump on top of a soapbox and say, watch Rocky Horror Picture Show. If you have a chance to watch it live in your city, do it. Support local theater. You'll love it. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> and uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll wrap up uh, the. Boochcast goes to the movies, but before we go, we got one final piece of business to wrap up, and that is, we just reviewed the Rocky Horror Picture Show. What's next on the list? So, okay, you had one movie before. I had good, I had good fellas. So she did Rocky Horror Picture Show, so Elvis, it's balls in your court. Mm. Okay, so I think we talked about before, we are going to be doing... Damn, there's so many good ones we could do, right? Yeah. I mean, there's like a lot of movies. Oh, yeah, there's... Well, movies. Yeah. Movies, movies, <laughs> movies. We're going to do The Big Lebowski. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. 
You know, I've only seen that like really like once or twice. So this will be good to uh, actually look at it with a more critical critical eye. If you seen it a long time ago, I mean, like as you grow as an adult, some things change in your mind too, and you become an adult, you see things a little bit differently. So what you saw before might be a little bit different. So yeah, I'm Lebowski, you're Lebowski, ladies and gentlemen. We're doing the Big Lebowski. I've gone through plenty of existential crises in my life. I'll probably be able to relate a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to that. And the dude course, abides. Yes, absolutely. And uh, Rihanna, thank you so much for uh, coming back to the show. We're so glad. I'm so glad you're back. Thank you for doing this movie. Absolutely. Just, I got some good ones in the uh, in the in the shoot. So now, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you guys will jump on over to part two. This is where we're going to get into the Wednesday Night War. So Elvis will be returning for the recap Yay. of AEW. And, of course, John Tumblin will Yay. be here as well as we discuss NXT Baby. here on the Boochcast. So you guys uh, tune in. AEW. Sit tight. And, uh, it's going to be a good show. NXT. Oh, either way, we all wear yellow on Wednesday, so it's good. Absolutely. So, on that note, make sure you guys check out Damn It Janet, part two. NXT. AW. All right. Well, before I wrap this up, I want to make it clear to everybody out there I am not posting Damn It Janet, part two, onto Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, and Google Podcast. And the reason for that is because it's an old AEW NXT recap from a long time ago, and therefore it's not important and doesn't need to be saved as a classic moment here on the Boochcast. I just wanted to keep that there because I loved the NXT AEW banter between Elvis and Rhiannon during that closing moments of that episode. So just to be clear, there is no Damn It Janet Part 2. I'm actually deleting it off of SoundCloud because right now I'm in the process of converting things from SoundCloud to here. So I that's why I'm doing all these compilations. I'm trying to take the best stuff and put them here and then everything else from SoundCloud is being deleted so I can get rid of SoundCloud and not have to worry about it. So I just wanted to make that clear. But anyway, we are at the end of the uh, Boochcast Goes to the Movies compilations and obviously we mentioned at the end there that the next one would be The Big Lebowski. So at some point down the road, we will be bringing back Boochcast Goes to the Movies and we will give a review of The Big Lebowski. When will that happen? I have no fucking idea. But I hope you enjoyed these classic moments here in this compilation. I have many more compilations of classic segments jammed together on one track for you guys to check out. Unfortunately, this one took three tracks but I think it's still great nonetheless. So on that note, make sure you guys uh, follow the Boochcast here on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, and Google Podcasts. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or become a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content that we always put out. Also, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Also, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've got episodes of Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of the Ring coming out on a weekly basis all the way to the end of season 3. So make sure you guys hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified so you don't miss any of the episodes that are currently up there the episodes that are coming soon and the other content we have from our archived watch parties, our D&D one shot, funny skits, holiday videos. Check them all out on the Boochcast YouTube channel. Also be sure to follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash the Boochcast 
podcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next one is going to be Saturday, January the 29th for the WWE Royal Rumble. That's right. The Royal Rumble has been announced that it will now take place on a Saturday. So they're going to be doing the same thing they did with SummerSlam. But rest assured, January 29th, we will be live on Twitch for the Royal Rumble. So make sure you check it out and ha- and party with us. So make sure you go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. Also, that's where we're going to be doing our live D&D show. I know I keep preaching it, but I will keep reminding you guys we are in the process of getting it worked on and it will be coming soon. So follow us there to know when we go live for that as well as other Twitch content that will be coming your way. And if you want to support the Boochcast, go to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three different levels you can contribute at with prizes coming soon. The first level is you can contribute for 99 cents per month. Support the show just by giving us 99 cents per month. It's 99 cents. Not a big deal. Uh, The second level is you can donate for $4.99 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock. Don't give them your money. Give us your money. We got better content than the Peacock anyway. And the final level, you can contribute for a mere $9.99. That's right. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. You got nowhere to put that $9.99 since they took it away from us. Take that $9.99. Bring it over here. We got better content than Network anyway. And unlike the WWE, we actually love and take care of our fans. Because the money you guys send to us goes directly back into this show in some capacity. It allows us to upgrade our equipment. It allows us to bring in bigger name guests. It allows us to pay our bills. And it lets me take care of all the guys who work hard on and off the air to make the Boochcast possible. So if you got a favorite co-host, you believe these are to be paid for their work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And with any money we have left over, we'll use it to feed Zach Ramen Noodles and try to get him laid. So until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, aka The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again. <laughs>